It's the Exit 52 podcast presented by Jimmy Seafood, the only Baltimore podcast that has a host that's opening up baseball cards on Instagram Live on a weekly basis. We are back for another week of Baltimore sports talk. And guys, normally we start with the Ravens. Normally we start with Orioles. We're going to start with the Terps, baby. We're starting with the Terps. Four wins in seven days. Back on the right side of the NCAA tournament bubble. At Terrapin Hoops is popping off. At UM Terps is popping off. Terp fans are popping <laughs> off. Torps. Torps are on the rise. The torps. The torps are on the rise. The torps are on the rise. A a Undertaker uh, lift up Jeff or uh, Gif Jeff Jeff Whoa 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 I don't know where that came from I don't know where that came from I don't know where that came from You work at social media I got too excited I got too excited about Taylor uh, You know we're recording (laughs) right (laughs) Uh, Yes Yes I got the I got the point of view (laughs) on that Uh, Just awesome to see uh, from this Maryland basketball team I. I'm very deep in it. So I will go to you guys for your take on what this Terps team has done uh, to hopefully get the state excited about March Madness. We got denied a potentially deep run last year, um, which I know still stings people. So, so hopefully uh, this team can provide some magic over the next few weeks. I, I think that everybody's barometer for the season was that the, uh, the ceiling was to make the tournament and they've all but made the tournament at this point, knock on wood, provided they don't, lose i mean if they lose two of the last three then it's probably right squarely on the bubble um and they lose all three they're probably on the outside looking in and then we get a look at the, the conference tournament but at this point they look like they're going to make the tournament and that was kind of the 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 hope coming in with the roster and all the, the players they lost after last season so you have to be um pretty thrilled about it um and then the way that they've done it you know kind of the, the, the narrative that follows Turgeon, it's one of the things that it's bugged me the most for, for eight, nine years now is that there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of strong Novembers and Decembers. There's preseason tournament wins. And then you see teams like Michigan State that aren't doing so hot at the beginning and they're trying to figure things out. And they come on strong in February and March. And the Terps, they kind of just fizzle. They kind of just kind of just stagnate and they stay the same it doesn't feel like they improve as the year goes on and then come march we were led to this point because of that this year is kind of the opposite it's it's kind of it's it's very refreshing it's it's you know i would love to for this team to be in a better position with a better constructed roster you're gonna have down years but pound for pound you have to say that this is mark turgeon's best coaching job I tweeted the other day, he should be coach of the year. I mean, like you said, I came into the year with very low expectations. Um, we heard about the roster coming in. It wasn't a great recruiting class. They were losing to some NBA talent. Um, senior guy in Anthony Cowan, who had played his balls off for four years. Um, and, and it was just, it was expected to be one of those years where that Maryland does, they haven't had in a while where it's just, it was going to be an underwhelming year. And so, I, again, I wasn't getting my hopes up. Um, and, and plus with COVID and the way the season was going to go, no one knew how long, how many games they were going to play, which players are going to be available, stuff like that. Um, and I mean, he's not just, not just hurt, but the entire team, I mean, Wiggins has played out of his mind the last month, you know, six weeks. He's played really, really well. 
Um, and yeah, now the team is there in position with three games left to, to make, they're, they're going to make the, they should make the tournament. Like you said, you know, knock on wood. Um, and I think if you would have told me at the beginning of the season, Hey, that, you know, three games left, they'll be in a good spot to make the tournament. I'd be like, Oh, good, good for them. They must've played a, you know, pretty good. And, and I think that's, that's just the case. They're not, I mean, they're not expected to make a deep run. They're not going to, they're, they're, they're not going to be one of these Cinderella teams, but I think they've, especially the last couple of games, they've been really fun to watch. And, and again, it's like, it's probably turges. And, and this is, I feel like this cliche is thrown around so much now, like, Oh, it's this insert coach's names, best coaching job whenever they don't have their best players. But I think that's what we're seeing out of Turgeon. It's shutting up a lot of his haters, um, even though he's still not the most popular guy, but it looks like he's going to add another NCAA tournament trip to his, uh, to his belt. Yeah. On February 8th, they were 10 and 10, um, really nine and 10 because their game against Wingate doesn't really count for any type of purposes because it's not a division one team and four and nine in the conference. Um, and they have really locked it down the defensive end um, in the run that they've made. Uh, the schedule has certainly been favorable. Uh, the Terps had, I think really the, the top end of the big 10 stacked a lot at the beginning of the schedule. And now it's kind of evened out. Um, but to go on the road after playing after playing Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, to then go on the road this Sunday and beat a Rutgers team that is looking for wins too to get to the tournament for the first time since '91 to get a better seating. You know they've they've been as ranked as high as you know 12 or 11 in the country to go in and beat them pretty convincingly, where they were really up double digits most of the second half and totally shut them down defensively was an impressive win. And as you said earlier, T, they should make the tournament. Three games to go. They're going to be favored in all three of them. You have a Michigan State team that beat Illinois tonight, but is down um, on Sunday. And will be playing its fourth game of the week. They play. They played the other night. They play. Um, they played tonight. They play Thursday and then they play Sunday. So you know their third game of the week, but you know fourth game in ten days or whatever it is. Um, they're going to be tired. They've got more games to go after that. And you have Northwestern, who's very down and is terrible. And then you have Penn State on senior night. Um, and they Maryland should beat Penn State the first time. So uh, it's they're well positioned. Um, Aaron Wiggins should get a lot of credit. He had a lot of cr- uh, criticism early in the season for not, you know, showing his NBA quote unquote potential. He's been tremendous. Darren Morsell has been, you know, the heart and soul of the team. He has played amazing defense. He has sort of carried them along. And then a guy in Eric Ayala, who was sort of the second fiddle guy in the backcourt, Anthony Cowan, has stepped up as a scorer um, and as a guy that can get you a bucket when you need it. And he he did a couple times against Rutgers. Uh, it's been an impressive job by, by those guys on the floor. And um, most, if you're looking forward to next year, you'd think a lot of those guys are going to be back. Um, and you, you may be a guy like James Graham takes a step. They bring in two other talented freshmen in Ike Cornish and, and, and Julian Reese. So um, maybe you're kind of some more set up for the future, but it's been fun to watch them play um, really embrace the defensive side of the ball and say, look, we're not going to have score teams. So if we can keep under 60, we give ourselves a chance. And they've really done that last week, which has been great to watch. Morcel, I was going to say, Morcel needs to get credit for just – the guy's got the shit beat out of him this year. I mean, yeah, he's, he's getting banged in the head. It looks like he's, like, done for the year with a shoulder injury, and then he comes back out. Like, it, I mean, that injury was talked up like it was – like his shoulder was physically removed from his body. And then next thing you know, he's out there again. Um, he And I'm trying to think of a player – like, he has the mellow – like, the, the, the hard work. Um, I've got a comp. Go for it. Oh, DJ Strawberry. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. 
just yeah. doesn't just does all the dirty things mm-hmm. uh not an exceptional shooter but can can get to the rack a little bit play awesome defense um you know it's not necessarily the same profile within the team that he's on currently but um i, I can't remember exactly how dj strawberry's career played out in terms of the timing of it but it felt like he was more of a role player and i think if if this roster had been played out with four-year players where bruno fernando's on this team um and things like that he would be perfect in that role where he's he's kind of like that defensive stopper and the energy guy that really just kind of does a little bit of everything he's a yeah, he's he, a byron mouton yeah i was gonna say byron mouton came to mind too strawberry's career starts in 03 or 04 so the ACC title um, year. He's in the Mike Jones fresh uh, class. So he kind of straddles the John Gilchrist to um, John Gilchrist to Gravis Vasquez type of scenario. Um, so he really did play kind of the filler role on teams that had better offensive players. He became a pretty good offensive player by his senior year, but I think that's, that's, that's a good comp. Yeah, DJ Strawberry is a, a good comp. Morcel's a guy that if he could figure out to shoot, has intangibles that NBA teams would like. He's just got to shoot the ball a little bit better to, to be able, but he's, he's gonna, he's gonna, he'll do, he'll play professional basketball somewhere. He's got too much, you know, for lack of better, he's got too much grit and heart and, you know, he plays sensational defense, but they just had kind of filled around. They're switching everything. They're not big. They need to not face teams with bigs. <laughs> um, you know, guys like Hunter Dickinson and Kofi Coburn and Luca Garza, are going to give Maryland trouble. But if it's not a dom, if you don't have a, do- if you just have bigs and not dominant bigs, um, that turfs beat Illinois with Coburn. So, um, but yeah, if that's a, the D, I had not thought about the DJ Strawberry comp as I've watched Aaron Morsell. And I like that. I like that. That's a, that's a good comp. And then um, you have a guy like Ayala, who I just think scores 14 or 15 points a game very, very quietly. Um, he's a pretty methodical. And this Terps team is not going to push the tempo. I think Ken Palm, it's like they're 309 and adjust the tempo, which Ooh. is, as it's like per, that's you know possessions per game or whatever it is really embracing the big 10 thing at this point. that is embrace couldn't be more <laughs> embracing the big 10 thing um in a conference that has been the meat grinder i mean college basketball i think we can universally say has not been the same without fans in these at these games it is just not the same product but the big 10 would have been incredible if there had been fans at all these games i mean the conferences the teams are all just beating the hell out of each other on a week after week basis so, yeah. I mean, Mich- Michigan State's barely shown up all year, and they beat Illinois tonight, and they were up double digits the entire second half. Illinois is considered a universal two-seed in the tournament. Ridiculous. So. Yeah. I mean, Ohio State-Michigan was an awesome game on Sunday. I didn't yep. even really tune in for much but the end of it because of the, the PGA Tour coverage gap. But um, I tuned into that, and that was just awesome. You could You could feel the energy just from the benches alone, and I think just a smattering of people that were kind of hanging out at that game. If that had been a packed, packed building with, you know, the rivalry that is Ohio State and Michigan, and if you kind of extrapolate that across the conference with a lot of the in-conference rivalries and the great teams that exist, be awesome. Would have been awesome this year. Yeah, it will be. It will be very fascinating to watch the next couple of weeks in the Big Ten tournament. And there's a lot of really good teams. You know, Michigan and Ohio State, as you said, Gonzaga and Baylor. It could really be a high-quality NCAA tournament. Um at the top end, if, if some of those teams uh, get to the end, Gonzaga is is a really fun team to watch. They now are playing at eleven thirty every night, so I'm not watching a ton of them. But when they played in those early season games, Jalen Suggs is sweet. He's a, he's a very very good player. Um, 
we moved to the Baltimore Orioles spring training underway pitchers and catchers. Um, it's been great to just see the guys out there. The Trey Mancini stuff has been really, really cool. Um, just to see the videos of him out there, but we bring in our guest this week, uh, to, to give you some more perspective on the Orioles. And that's uh, a voice of the Orioles radio network and mass and Jeff Arnold and, and Jeff very gracious with his time. And we dove into a bunch of different stuff, you know, how he got to where he is, his methods about broadcasting, got really incredible experience as an umpire, which I found fascinating to, to talk to a guy that has been a professional umpire that is now broadcasting games. Um, and he may now be involved in the um, in the kicking contest between Banks, Justin Tucker, and Adley Rushman. We are just going to involve everyone that comes on the show in that. So um, let's get to our interview with Jeff Arnold. Something magic happens. We're back here on the Exit 52 podcast presented by Jimmy Seafood with one of the voices of the Baltimore Orioles, Jeff Arnold Masson, the Orioles radio network. Jeff, we start out all of our guests for the most part with this question. How'd you get to where you are? What, what's the, what's the Jeff Arnold broadcasting story in so many words? Oh man. So you'd have to go back to early freshman year at Dickinson college when I was looking for stuff to do on campus and looking for ways to meet people. And I had a friend that randomly told me about this student radio station. And they said, we have sports broadcasting there. I was like, well, that sounds like fun. So I went to this meeting and it was just a bunch of random, random guys. And this one girl who's still a friend of mine to this day. And they were just looking for somebody to do a college football game, a random non-conference college football game. And I got there and I did it and I had a lot of fun. I wasn't very good, but I was like, if I, if I start to ask some people how to do this and if I can figure out a way to do this consistently, like, I think I might have a chance to do this one day. And so Brett Hollander was actually there at the time. We went to the same college, which the odds of two Orioles broadcasters coming from little old Dickinson college is astronomical, but he was a senior. I was a freshman. I was like, if I can be somewhere near as good as this guy, by the time I graduate, I think I'll be okay. And so I ended up doing every sport under the sun, baseball, football, basketball. I did soccer. I did lacrosse. I did a volleyball game on a Halloween at one point. I hope no tape of that exists because I'm sure <laughs> I would be fired if anyone ever heard it. But, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I got into the industry that way. And it was just because I went to a college where everyone wants to be a doctor or a lawyer or do something serious. And I'm like, I think I'm going to just be the, the weird dude that hangs out and does radio. So so I, I got into the industry that way and I started working my way up and got into the minor league baseball thing in 2012 when I was at the Frisco Rough Riders. My first broadcast that I ever did, I was just mortified that I was going to be fired like as soon as the game was over or when my innings were done. Like I was waiting for my boss to come in with the hook and to just be like, all right, man, sorry, we, we blew this one. So, but they, they stuck with me for an entire season. I had a great mentor there and then went to Wilmington, went to Frederick. When I got to Frederick, I started to do a lot more freelance work, and that included a bunch of television stuff. And then eventually an opportunity opened up with the Orioles. So, so that's the short version, I guess, of, of how I got to the Orioles. But it, it started out at a, at a little uh, radio station in the basement of the Holland Union building at Dickinson College. And, uh, and it's produced not only one, but, but two major league broadcasters. And uh, uh, so take that, Syracuse. <laughs> or take that Maryland take that Maryland. yeah sure sure when you when you got to to the same point 
you and Brett obviously sort of named to the broadcast team around the same time. Did you guys like text or call each other and be like, how the hell did this happen? Yeah. You know what? It's funny because he and I got back in touch when I got to Frederick and I knew he was doing broadcasting, but I kind of lost track of what he was doing when he left. Cause there was like a couple year age gap and he was getting ready to graduate when I was just getting there. And so we reconnected when I was, um, when I was back in Frederick and he was at WBAL and the first year there was 14 when the Orioles almost won the whole thing. And he's doing pre and post with, you know, Joe Angel and Fred Manfred. I'm like, Oh man, this guy's really doing well for himself. And I'm just doing minor league baseball someplace. And then uh, we started touch base a little bit more. Like we would talk, you know, on a yearly basis, a couple times a year. Sometimes I would get him guests for the show because I was our PR guy in addition to the broadcaster when I was with the keys. And, and then sometimes he would come out to games. Like he would always tell me, if you need a fill in for like a broadcast, like you should have me out. And there was like a time where I did, we had this Sunday game and the guy that I normally did the games with was going to a wedding. And so he came in and did this random game with me. David Hess started for the keys and Ronaldo Lopez started for, uh, for the nationals team. So we had two major league pitchers that were starting in this game and Brett and I were doing the broadcast. We had so much fun. It went really well. And, um, and that was the last broadcast that we would do together until uh, spring training of last year when we went to, to Tampa to do an Orioles-Yankees game. And, um, you know, we kind of just picked up where we left off. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is like the odds of it happening the way that it did are just off the charts. Like you would never see it again. Um, but, but it's been really cool to, to work with him. And, and now he just bothers me all the time. He texts me all the time. He calls me all the time, you know. But, uh, but yeah, he's, yeah, he, he's my de facto work wife. I think you could say. <laughs> now you talk about your, your time in Frederick and the minors. I mean, everyone knows the minors for being these wacky, you know, guests mm-hmm. and just insane theme nights. What were some of the ones that stuck out to you where you're sitting in the booth, just thinking like, what the hell am I watching right now? I mean, I mean, I've been to a couple keys games. I know banks grew up right in that area. So he's familiar with their, I, I mean, the Fred neck nights and the back shaving and stuff like that. I'm sure you've seen it all. Were you the guy that they did the back shaving to? No, I think that might've been before my time. I don't have a two, I don't have too hairy of a back, but I, I, am sure that they did not have a, a shortage of uh, participants up there. Yeah. You know what, the, what you just described perfectly summed up the cowboy monkey rodeo. That was, that was the first, (laughs) when I was in Wilmington, Delaware, and that's kind of where the Cowboy Monkey Rodeo started as far as going around minor league baseball. And it was monkeys, uh, you know, it was, it was monkeys riding dogs as though, you know, as though they were cowboys (laughs) and it was just ridiculous. And so they would do a couple of shows a year in Wilmington and it would sell out and it was nuts. And they would, everybody and their brother was coming to see this thing and they had already seen it before. And I, the first time I saw, it, I was like, what am I watching? And so, so then it, it went to Frederick, I think the, the year before I got there and then they would keep coming back and then they, they kind of phased themselves out, but it was this show that it was everywhere. They did all kinds of different sports. I think they did a hockey game at one point. They did at least one Monday night football game. So it was a really big deal um, and that was probably the wildest thing that I have ever seen. And then Frederick is known for, for all the celebrities that would come out. Shooter McGavin came out for, for a night and that was, was so there. much fun. Oh, it was awesome. And, uh, he, he was great. And then we had, um, 
for a lot, a lot of good ones. We had, um, we had Corbin Burnson, right? We had Roger Dorn out for, for a game and, and he was, he was tremendous. Um, we had Jay Peterman out for a Seinfeld night. And, um, before actually we took him to the ballpark, right? I, I, I was kind of the chauffeur. Like I would go pick him up at the airport and then I would, I would take him to their hotel or if they wanted to get something to eat. Um, he is this huge baseball fan and he's a Red Sox fan. He doesn't miss a game. Like he watches some of the, every single game. And so, I pick him up. I get ready to take him into Westview Promenade where there's like all these places to eat. And he's like, to me, what's the, uh, what's the, like the, what's the, uh, what's the nicest establishment here. And so he, oh, he, 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 he's like, he's acting like Jay Peterman. It was, it was incredible. And so we, we end up taking him to this, like this bar. And I was like, well, I guess this is the, you know, it's a lovely place, but I don't, I don't know high, if this is like highbrow dining that we're, we're getting into here. So um, I remember it's like lunchtime and I'm like, I'll take a, uh, I'll take an unsweet tea. And he gets like a Chardonnay or something like that. <laughs> we clink glasses. I'm like, this is, this guy is really like a perfect fit for Jay Peterman. Where'd and you take so, him to uh, champions or that was, that was actually, yeah, it was champions. Yeah, I nailed it. it. We went to champions. <laughs> you could guess, you could guess. And like, I love, I love going to champs, but I'm, but you know, you go to Westview promenade, you know, you're not thinking five-star restaurants and uh, which is fine, but yeah, so so that was really cool too, and getting to spend some time with these guys. Bradley Whitford came out for a West Wing night, and we went out with him afterwards. So there were a lot of great guests, and that was probably the the best part of it. But easily the weirdest thing I've ever seen, and will probably ever see, is the Cowboy Monkey Rodeo. It was a million dollar idea, and I don't know if it generated a million dollars, but it but it certainly was was quite a hit for the for the time it was going. I need to be out there for West Wing night. I would have been all over that. <laughs> I came out for Soup Nazi night. Uh, yeah, I he was he was great too. Larry Thomas was was a cool guy. He was too friendly. I thought he would. Oh my god! Like I did an interview with him, and and he told like this incredible story of how he got the gig and what it meant to his career. Like it was the gift that kept on giving him. I think he described his acting career at that point as being like a black lung and Seinfeld was the thing that saved it. And it saved it in a major way. Cause it's probably the most famous Seinfeld episode ever. It's hard I to mean, disagree with that. I mean, yeah. I was going to say you can't, yeah. I was trying to think really of one to like argument. challenge that. And I don't think that I can. Yeah. I don't think that I can. The contest, but I don't think you want anybody involved with that one. What, what was the, the <laughs> What was the, what were the road trips like? I, I feel like, you know, I have a you know, couple of guys that have, you know, worked as, as, as students at Maryland and now, you know, become minor league broadcasters. And you talk about sort of being on the road and, and, and the stories that come from that. What was that sort of like those bus trips and, and sort of the typical minor league baseball type of stuff? Oh my God. Uh, it, it was a blast. And the nice thing about the Carolina league, it was, is about as easy of a travel league as you can get. Like I started in the Texas league and the Texas league is so far spread out. And then you would look at the, the Southern league, for instance, is, is one that's a little bit closer to us. And then the Pacific coast league is like the most insane travel league or was the most insane travel league until some of the things changed with the, the minor league restructuring. But the Carolina league was nice because the farthest trip we had to go was, was eight hours and it ended in Myrtle beach. And, you know, everyone would have some fun in Myrtle beach and, you know, it was a little bit more lax and every, you know, the, the manager would be like, all right, you know, if you, you want to take the bus back, you know, fine, but, you know, you know, go out, have fun and just make sure you show up to the ballpark, you know, at this time. And, and that was kind of the way it was for, for a lot of these teams that would come in and play the Pelicans. But 
Uh, you would go to just some of these like hole in the wall places when you'd go to like, like Lynchburg it was kind of like a, there were a bunch of really good places to eat when you went there and then Salem, there was, there was some fun places and, and, and you would go out and then you would see some of your, your guys that would show up as well. And, and it was, it was kind of the way that you got to know them. And then you go, you know, in Frederick, as I mean, you guys have been to Frederick before, like there, you go downtown from the ballpark and there's only so many places that everyone can go. And so Friday night, like we've all had a long week, you know, it's let's, let's go have some fun. And, you know, a lot of times I'd go out with the opposing broadcaster and, and then you'd run into like members of your team or members of the opposing team or coaching staff of the opposing team. And that was, you know, how you got to know some of these guys. And, and that was what was really cool about it is that everybody was in the same spot and would go to the same places. So you get to know them at the park, but then you'd also get to know them as human beings outside of the park. And, and that's what made it a really cool experience. And, um, you know, I had some really good players that, that I had a chance to, you know, to kind of work with over the course of a couple of years. And, um, you know, it's, it's fun now to see a bunch of them playing for the Orioles. The eight hours down to Myrtle Beach, as someone that's done that to play Coastal Carolina, not a bad place to have to get out of the bus to after eight hours. No, especially <laughs> when you place. leave like first thing in the morning, you just, you sleep, you find a comfortable sleeping position that won't make you go to the chiropractor <laughs> afterwards. And, and then you wake and I'm a good, I was a good bus sleeper. So that's and I would, huge. I would do all my work before we'd leave. And so I wouldn't do anything to, but sleep on the bus. And then next thing you know, we wake up and we're there. Go have breakfast. Go do whatever you want to do. And um, and then every once in a while, we'd have an off day in Myrtle Beach. And that was always awesome. You're a better man than me. I was on the bus at 8 in the morning, like, doing game notes or something. So you're, you're, <laughs> you're just a be- better worker, better worker than I am on that one. Yeah. What, what, what did you – what uh, talk about you obviously making the journey from Frederick – to the Orioles and then watching players do the same thing the, you know, they always talk about, you know, these guys play the minors together and then they're at the big league to have the, the you as a broadcaster now, you know, broadcasting guys that you saw sort of at their, you know, maybe some of their worst times coming up through to that type of, you know, in minor league ball now kind of reaching the peak. What kind of feelings does that give you as you try to go through? It gives you the feeling of, man, I remember this guy when like, Jimmy Yacobonis, for instance, who used to pitch for the Orioles. And now I'm not, I think he's maybe with the Padres organization or whatever, but Seattle, Seattle, I think is actually, yeah, I think that's right. So he was, he made his big league debut with the Orioles. And I remember this one day where I saw him in the clubhouse. It was his, I think, third year in the Carolina league. And he came in a pitch. He got put in a really bad spot. His defense messed up and they gave up a bunch of runs and this guy was so downtrodden. I think he said to me, like, I am going to die in this league. And, and he felt just terrible about it. Meanwhile, you, you would see him the year before. And like, he was having these big league sequences that he was showing guys. He just had some bad luck. And then like, right after that happened, he goes into a month where his luck totally changes. He figures it out. He starts throwing strikes. He starts getting guys out goes to double a goes to the fall league and then eventually gets to the Orioles. Um, but I remember his first inning that he pitched in the Carolina league, and it might've been the most disastrous inning that I've ever seen. His was probably the worst, 
But the second worst was by Aaron Brooks, who actually pitched for the Orioles too. And this was when he was with the Royals organization. And he was the first guy, I think, of his draft class to make it to the major leagues with the Royals. And, and this was back when I was in Wilmington. And the, he, the first outing that he had, I think, was against, um, I think, was the Carolina Mudcats. And I think this was the time when Francisco Lindor was playing for them. And, and I remember watching that outing and, and I, and I heard our managers say it like after the fact, like it was the worst outing I've ever seen. Like it was so <laughs> bad. And then this guy turned it around and he makes it to the big leagues before any of his teammates do. That's the great thing about watching some of these guys is you've seen them experience struggles for the first time, go through the ups and downs, and you've seen them look like humans. Like we, we, we see them now as major leaguers. And sometimes you think that they're, infallible and that they're 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 always going to make the right play and they're they're always going to do everything right but you go back to when they're in the minor leagues and sometimes it doesn't always turn out the way that you think it's going to and so to just see that human side of them like I remember Trey Mancini his first year in, in Frederick and he got off to a really hot start and then he kind of you know he he spun his wheels a little bit and then the next year got off to a slower start and then he goes into May and June and there was nobody you could get him out. I mean, he was just, he was sitting on first pitch breaking balls in, in counts just to, to show he could. It was, those are the kinds of things that you remember about, you know, where they started, how far they came when, when you were with them. And then you see him move from double A AA to triple A and then get to the Orioles. And then Mancini has been a most valuable Oriole. I saw Santander when he was playing for Lynchburg and he was one of the best hitters in the league you know, maybe the best hitter in the league at the time. And this was some kid who was 19 years old. So, I mean, it's, it's really cool to kind of see how far these guys have come. And, and it's kind of like, as, as from a broadcasting perspective, you know, follows my track a little bit too. I mean, I remember when I got to Frederick and, and, you know, I thought I was pretty good when I, when I arrived and then I was, and then I, and I go back and listen to the tape uh, during the shutdown this year. And I was like, Ooh, I wasn't that good at all. And then <laughs> the next year it was like, eh, not, not great either. And then you keep taking a next, your next step forward. And then by the time you're at the very end, you're like, okay, I think I'm ready for this. But it's like, you know, your, your tracks between the players and the broadcasters sometimes mirror each other. You're like, well, he's not playing very well, but I'm also maybe not broadcasting really well right now. And it's, it's kind of fun to see um, when, when you make it and they make it. And then it's also not pe just people like me. It's also like, coaches that get their opportunities to to go to the major leagues like Paco Figueroa is a friend of mine he's a first base coach for the Phillies and you know he got there and Justin Veely was on the same staff with him and we were all together in 2015 and Paco beat us both by a year and Justin's now one of the two hitting coaches for the Giants and you know a couple months after he got that job um, on Gabe Kapler's staff I got an opportunity to to come to the Orioles so you know we all made it and uh, it's kind of cool to see our our respective arcs as they went. Now, you said Santander so superfluously there. Uh, <laughs> I just want to commend you for that. Is there a Thank name? You. And this is, this is old Banks coming in with, with a meatball question, a real, real dumb question. Uh, is there a name that you've enjoyed either uh, among the current roster or in your entire career that you just love to say, you just love to roll it off the tongue, or, or one that you worked really hard on to get the pronunciation right? um the first time you had to say it and then mm -hmm. you just nailed it and you felt really great about that is there a name that comes to mind yeah um you might you, we all might remember pedro araujo when he was uh, when he was with the orioles that was one that um 
he was pitching for, for the Cubs affiliate Myrtle beach at the time. And I had to go over to the opposing broadcast and be like, how do you say this? And, and then he walked me through it. Then I went back into my booth. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. How do you say this? Cause I thought it was a Raha. Like it's spelled like a Raha, which is like how all those names are said, but it, his was Arauho. And I was like, okay. And, and then I, and, and he had to like, and then he texted me like the phonetics of how to say it. So that was one that I was proud that I was able to get, but probably the, the two that I enjoy saying, and, and I don't know why all these last names that I enjoy saying start with, with the letter A. Maybe it's just because my last name starts with an A, but um, I like saying Luis Avilon, you know, like Avilon, it just, it's smooth. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it takes flight out of your mouth and it's, it's, it sounds, it sounds really smooth. He pitched, I think in one game, against us last year when he was with the Yankees. And then um, another one was uh, Jonathan Arauz, who was a utility infielder with the Red Sox and, and is and is with them right now. I saw him in the minors and it was just, you know, it was like a, a, a fountain like was leaving your mouth as you were saying it. So Arauz and Avilon, I guess, were, were two that just naturally, naturally flow. You talked about this a little bit, um, seeing guys – you know, obviously in the minors before their big leaguers, was there ever any like under the radar guy where you're like coming into the series, you're like, I have no idea who this guy is. And, and when you, when you, when that game finished, you said like, Holy shit, this guy is going to be an absolute stud. Is there someone who just kind of, again, not one of the top prospects, not a Lindor or someone like that, but someone who just came out of nowhere and surprised you. And when you saw him make his major league debut, you went, yeah, that seems about right. I saw that a couple of years ago. You know, he was a third round pick when I saw him initially, um, but Shane Bieber was pretty much an unknown when, when he was with the Indians coming up, like that was great scouting on their part. They got him in the third round. I think he went to like Cal state Northridge or something like that. Santa, Santa, Santa Barbara, Santa Barbara. Right. So he, he was playing against us. And, and when I, when I saw who was pitching, I was like, who is this guy? And, and then he, he comes in and just, you're like, whoa, you know, remember the name. Like he, he was one of those guys that, um, you know, he's a third round pick. So he obviously had talent. Um, but if you look at his story and how he got to the point where he became a third round pick, you know, it was very much an, an against the odds kind of story. And I watched him pitch and, and we faced him three times, four times. And remember in the Carolina league, because it's, it's so geographically close and, and just the way the schedule worked out that year, we were seeing him time after time after time. And every time we faced him, it just never went well. I mean, he, it was six innings of one run baseball, seven shutout innings, eight shutout innings, six innings of, of one run baseball. And he was doing this to everybody. And I was like, how did, how did we, how did, how did nobody catch this guy until the third round? Um, And then, well, he ends up now going on to win a Cy Young last year and is the best pitcher in baseball. I think, you know, some folks would say, um, but yeah, he would be one that that kind of kind of came out of nowhere for me when I, when I saw him pitch, and uh, he he was the best pitcher that I that I ever stumbled across uh, in my minor league journey. I saw some really good ones, but but he was the best. He was awesome, and he that was like right in my wheelhouse of college baseball uh, when when we were good in fifteen and sixteen. He was awesome for that. Made Dylan Tate too on the same team yep. uh, for a couple of years. That they was. And, and all the college baseball writers were obsessed with him throughout the year because the Bieber thing, Bieber <laughs> fever. Um, and he was just like in all those like weekly recaps and ended up, I didn't think he would be this good, but he's awesome. 
he is really, really, really good. Yeah. There, there are some, that those are the coolest ones though. Like it's one thing if somebody's a first round pick and it's like, all right, we expect him to make the major leagues. Like, okay, mm-hmm. I get it. But, but the, every once in a while, those, those guys that come out of nowhere that, that do stuff that you're not expecting them to do, or just some, some guy that you're like, all right, who is this? And then they go out there like, Oh, wow. Like this guy is, uh, this guy has got something here. And so, so there've been, there've been a number of those that, that I have, that I have stumbled across like Andrew Benintendi. When, when I saw him play, you know, at first I was like, Whoa, this guy can really, really, really hit. And, um, and every, like he didn't, he didn't not only hit, he didn't swing and miss. And so you knew he was going to be good, but, it, but he had a really high profile. Like you, you knew his story, but um, yeah, I'd say third round Shane Bieber coming in and, what a sight, you know, you knew he was going to be good then. And um, he has certainly shown it since. And it, what are some of the more, I guess, memorable either games moments um, just from your time in Frederick, was there ever, you know, a night, a walk-off or a three home run performance, something like that, that just that, that every now and then you'll, you'll think back and be like, damn, that was, that was awesome. That was, that was really cool. It's funny. You should mention a three home run performance because when I was in Frederick, the key is, until I think this is year maybe five for me, four or five when I was there, they had never had a three home run game by any of their players. And then two guys did it in one week. The first one that did it was Austin Hayes when we went to Potomac. And the second guy that did it was Ryan Mountcastle. And that was like three days later. So never happened in our team's history. And then these two guys end up doing it. So that was one that I'll certainly remember when Jake Ring had the walk-off RBI single against Lynchburg and the, uh, the Northern division championship series at the very end of my time there, that was the only playoff series that we were in uh, during, during that time. That was really cool to watch and, and to see how he performed um, in, in that series was really cool. So that was one that'll, that was, that'll stand out for me too, especially because Lynchburg, they just brought a bunch of ringers. Like they had guys that were coming up from like double a and they sent them down for the playoff series. Like really guys, but, but they did. And so, so those would probably be two that would stand out for me and then Mikey O'Brien, um, who um, you, you guys probably have not heard of him before, but he he was a free agent signed for us, and he pitched a no hitter. That's the only no hitter I've ever called. Um, I've I've had a couple close calls um, on no hitters, um, you know, before that and since that, but that's the only no hitter that I've ever seen. So those are those are probably the the four games that, that stand out the most to me. When you are doing like home run calls or you have a, something like a no-no going, are you like someone that has the calls prepared going in? No. I always find this interesting with broadcasters. No. Or are you, you're doing everything like as it flows, which I think is the better way to do it. It should kind of come as you go. What you get is whatever comes out. Like that's, that's, that's <laughs> what, like it is, like I don't script stuff ever. Cause if you script it, and, and I've heard guys talk about this who maybe make the decision to script it something happens where it goes wrong and it sounds scripted or they stumble over their call or they end up just not using it. So I've always just trusted my ability to just have whatever comes out, comes out. And, and I think most of the time, like it's how I feel and it's, and it's generally how it, how it sounds. And last year was really weird because we didn't have any fans there. So what made it strange is that, sometimes the crowd, I think a lot of times the crowd is a good barometer for how to, how to access your calls um, and, and, and the right amount of juice to give it. But when there's nobody there and it's just kind of static crowd noise, it's a little bit hard to, 
hard to figure out. And so that's, that's one of the reasons that I'm excited to have some fans back this year is not only because, you know, you, the, the game doesn't feel the same without fans, but also because um, when you're delivering a call and there's like a lot of people there, um, they can kind of give you an idea for like, all right, this is how much you need to be elevating this. And this is, you can use the crowd to lay out after you make your call. Um, but yeah, when, when you're doing a call, it's, it's not just about what you're saying. It's about how everyone else is reacting to it too. And, um, uh, but yeah, don't plan it. Uh, and, and I never have, and I'm never going to, it, it is going to be whatever comes out, comes out. And um, having done this uh, for the amount of time that I have, I'm, I'm going to just trust myself and, uh, and trust that the, the right words are going to come out at the right time. So apparently you also have a bit of a background as an umpire. Now, mm -hmm. would you say the same thing when it comes to your punch outs or things of that nature? No, I kind of knew what I was going to do with, with the punch outs. <laughs> like I would do the bow and arrow. So I'd throw the arm up and then I would just rip after on, on strike <laughs> we'll start calls. the lawnmower, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of yeah, start the lawnmower. That, that's what I would do. And some guys get into it a little bit more than I did, but they, they always just like you to have something, you know, standardized, like just, just know what you're doing. You can't be doing like five different strike three calls during a game. But, uh, but yeah, I tried a bunch of different things out. Like maybe one game I would do the, the bow and arrow. And then another game I would just like reach and then grab and then pull. And, um, and I tried a couple different things, but the bow and arrow, the throw the arm up, you know, punch the guy out. That was, that's how I did it. What age were you umping? I did professional. I did up through professional. So I was in the wow. post league actually. And one of the guys, one of the games that I did, Blake Snell actually pitched. Um, this was when I think he was coming back from injury I think he was pitching for the Durham bulls at the time. So he was on a rehab outing and I was looking back at some of the box scores this past summer. And I saw like a number of the games that I did and some of the, some of the players that were there, like Gregory Polanco was, was playing in some of those games. Um, you know, Bo Bichette's brother, I think, was was a member of the Yankees organization at the time. And, and I think I made a list somewhere and I don't know where it is. But, yeah, there were a number of big leaguers in there. And one of them was Blake Snell. Did you, did ever, you get into – oh, go ahead, Max. Did you ever come across, um, whether it being your time in the Carolina League or um, during your time as an umpire, uh, Eric Bacchus? I know who he is. You I know who he is actually. Bit. Yeah. Now he's, he's doing some big league games. I saw he, he got, was. A, he he got was a chance last year. Doing a couple this past year, a high school baseball teammate of mine. He went to Seneca Valley in Germantown. So. Ryan Wills actually, who did some Orioles games this year and was actually calling balls and strikes for the first ever Orioles game that I did last year when I was doing the Orioles and Braves at Ben McDonald on Masson, he was calling balls and strikes. He was a partner of mine when I was, uh, when I was starting out and we, we worked together and he was great. You know, you could tell then that he had what it took to be a big league umpire. And, and now he's, uh, he's getting some opportunities to do that. Did you have big league umpiring dreams at any point? I did. Yeah. That's why I got into, that's why I, I took a little detour before I went into broadcasting full time. Cause I started doing it when I was like a teenager and I had an aptitude for it and it, paid better than say working at the grocery store or just doing a job that you hated, which like everybody said, what's the worst job that you've ever had? I was like, I don't, I don't know. I haven't really had any jobs that I've hated because I did enjoy umpiring and I've enjoyed broadcasting. That's really the only two things I've ever done. Um, there, there may be some pieces, some broadcasting pieces and some jobs in broadcasting. I haven't liked as much as some others, but but yeah, those are the only two things I've ever had. But yeah, I got into it and I, I had just an interest in doing it. And 
And when I got to college, I started umpiring college baseball. Like I was part of this college umpire chapter and they were looking for younger umpires and they were just like looking for some guys that could run around and do a bunch of games. And they were an older group. Like there were a lot of really good umpires in there. Like some would do the college world series every year, but they needed some younger blood. And, and I was like, well, I'll give it a shot. I'll go for a tryout. And if I suck, well, at least I'll learn something. And, and maybe that'll help me if I decide to pursue this professionally. Well, I did really well in my tryout and they invited me on board and I passed the NCAA rules test. And I called a bunch of division three and division two college baseball. And then I did summer college baseball and went to umpire school, which is what you want. You need to do if you're going to go umpire professionally. And from there, I went to the uh, pro evaluation court, which is where they, they know how many jobs that they have. And they're bringing new guys in the fold every year and girls as well. And I ended up making it. And so I would, I did a, did a season in the Gulf coast league and I was the third highest rated umpire at my classification, but I just didn't like some things about it. Um, the funny thing, people are like, well, did you just hate that they yelled at you? And I was like, no, 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 you, you don't understand. Like at that level of professional baseball, you win if the game takes two and a half hours or less to play. Even if you lose, you still win if that's the case. Because everybody's in the in the hot Florida sun. All these games are played in the afternoon. So so it actually had nothing to do with that at all. It just had was, you know, a few other things like I, I I didn't like not having any time to myself. And when you umpire, like, you know, you and your partner do everything together. And I'm just I'm one of those people I've got to have a certain amount of time to myself each day. And that's when I sort of realized it wasn't a fit, but it was a unique look into the game. And, a, and, and not many people can say they know what it's like between the lines of a professional game, but, but I got to do it for a couple of months and I, I learned a lot from it. Do you think that gives you like a different perspective on broadcasting or does it make, does it change? And it's really interesting. Cause that, does that change anything you would say about a call or an umpire that maybe someone that obviously is educated about the game, they're broadcasting professional baseball, but maybe has never stood there and called balls and strikes or, or called a, a play at first. Right. It's a good point. And there's certain times where I can point things out to be like, well, you know, the reason that, you know, that might, that pitch might be in the box. A lot of times that I'm calling a baseball game, like if I do a game on Masson, I call a lot of it off the monitor because I want to make sure I'm calling what everyone else is seeing. Um, but even so when I'm doing radio, like I call all the pitches off the monitor. And, and so like, there'll be times where a pitch will be in the box and be like, well, why wasn't that a strike? And it's like, well, the reason it wasn't a strike was because the catcher butchered it. Like he might've, the pitcher might've missed his spot and he's got to reach across the plate to catch it. Is it a strike? Well, technically it is, but that won't count against the umpire's score. Like umpire gets scored every game when they, when they do games behind the plate. And it's like, that's not going to count because the catcher messed that up or the pitcher missed the spot. And so, yeah, I can sometimes provide like little insights into how certain things work and maybe how some of the conversations go down and some of the things that are said, I can't obviously repeat some of the, the four letter words that, that are uttered, but like you're used to, you're used to it. You understand how it works and you know all the different things that take place and some of the intricacies. Um, but calling balls and strikes in a major league game might be the hardest thing to do in professional officiating. It is so stinking hard to do. And especially like, figuring out the bottom part of the strike zone. We watched all these games this year. And the biggest thing I, I was noticing was that the, the bottom part of the strike zone was all over the place. And you would get a veteran umpire, like 
and I'm not going to name any names, but there were like a couple of guys who were like, okay, you, you know, this guy has a pretty good grasp of the strike zone and what he's doing, but that's because he's done all these games. And then you would have some of these younger umpires come in. And I thought a lot of them did a pretty good job, but they're also like, sometimes you'd see their strike zone was one way in one game and a little bit different in the next, just because they're getting used to calling a major league strike zone with the box and all those different things that they got to figure out. And it is really, really, really hard. And so I give those guys a lot of credit because it is not easy to do. And in this day and age where, you know, people are just, you know, ripping umpires left and right. And sometimes I face, I do it too. Like there, there are missed calls and things that happened and, and sometimes things get missed that, that shouldn't, but, but for the most part, the guys on the field are really good at what they do. And uh, having been through some of the training and, and done it at least a lower level where, where I've seen 98, hundred miles an hour, like, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's really hard. And I've, I've seen it so I can ex- explain it and understand a little bit better. Talked about it a little bit before with the, um, the no fans being there your first year. And again, this goes for Melanie and a couple of the other people too, but your first year in the box, you know, in the, in the bigs, I mean, it must've been a roller coaster. Like, again, you guys get the news that, you know, you're coming up to the Orioles, you go down to spring training. I saw Melanie put on Instagram today. It was like this day last year, you guys are down at the bar at the ballpark and stuff like that. And then it's just the shutdown. And next thing you know, you blink and you're standing looking at an empty Camden yards, calling a game with cardboard cutouts and, you know, in the stands at, at some places, or you're calling a game from home. What, what was that, that whole, you know, just kind of sum up that entire season and what it was like to, again, I mean, you're, you're fulfilling your lifelong dream and you look out and you're expecting to see your, you know, friends and family and you got no one. I would say that you just had to embrace the weird because it was as weird as it possibly could have been. And, you know, I reached out to different broadcasters that I knew across Major League Baseball and I got the Orioles job and I, and I asked for advice and some reached out and gave me some to just, you know, let me know how to, how to handle myself and how to do some things a little differently. Because, you know, you go from the minors to the majors and there are a bunch of things that, that don't work the way that you're accustomed to. And then we suddenly go into this monitor baseball, no fans, trying to figure out how the setup is going to work. And nobody can really answer these questions because we're all trying to figure it out. And I think that might have created actually a little bit of an advantage for me because I didn't have any expectations going into it. If you had been calling Major League Baseball for 20 years, I'm sure last year was a nightmare uh, because you're just so used to getting X, Y, and Z. And then suddenly none of this stuff is at your disposal and there are no fans there either. But I I felt like the product that, that, you know, our team put together and that all these other broadcast teams that I saw, and I watched a lot of games this off season and, and during last season too, I think it, you could see like, these are, this is why these are major league broadcasters because they're going to figure it out when stuff gets tough. And, and I've been involved in pretty much every broadcasting disaster you can imagine, you know, on the television side, it's the monitor goes out or you lose comms with the truck. And then on the radio side, it's, well, your ISDN line drops. Well, you got to do this game on your phone. Well, you got to do this or that, or, you know, uh uh-oh, I spilled Gatorade on on my broadcast computer, which happened my last year in Frederick. That was my worst moment ever. And uh, and now we don't know how we're going to do this doubleheader. And uh, that was a disaster. But, But anyways, like, 
I think when we went into this, I'm just like, all right, well, now it's time to just, just got to be good. You just got to figure it out. And I, and I took the, the philosophy of this is the major leagues. You're supposed to be good and you're supposed to be good no matter what you have to deal with. The fans expect it. You should be expecting it out of yourself. Your bosses are expecting you to figure it out. And you know what we did? And not every game was perfect. I mean, I go back and I, and I watch some of those games and there were some moments that I want back, but we're all going to have those even if times are normal anyway. So it was just getting used to a different style of broadcasting. And I think by just reminding yourself that, all right, you're in the major leagues, you're supposed to be ready for this. Um, and just looking at it that way and just taking the attitude like, this is supposed to be good and I don't care what gets thrown my way. I felt like that mindset really helped get me through the season. You touched on getting advice from other broadcasters. Did you model anything you've done after, after broadcasters from the past or even guys that are going now that you've, you've you know, created a relationship with? I kind of do it the way that, that I've always done it, but I've definitely taken pieces from broadcasters. Like Brian Anderson is a guy that I really enjoy watching him do games. And he's, he's given me some tips and different tricks. Like when I was doing, you know, one of my favorite moments from this past year was I got done doing one of the Braves games on Masson and I got an email that said B Anderson. I was like, I was like, no, nah, this, this can't. And then I looked at the email and where, where it came from. And I was like, Oh man, this is, yeah. And, and I had never met him before. He sent me a really nice note and it was really kind and said, Hey, I was in the bubble tonight. Cause it was the NBA, I think conference finals were going on. And he's like, I watched some of your game. I hadn't heard of you before, but like you do a really good job. And so that, that meant a lot to me when I, when I heard that from a guy like that, who is uh, you know, similar story to me, spent a decade in the minor leagues before getting his opportunity, you know, first with the golf channel, then with the brewers now with Turner and it's just one of the best in the industry. So, so he's probably one. Um, and then there are, you know, there are different guys as well that I've, I've modeled myself after. Like I love going back and listening to, to Joe and Fred and how they did games. And there's, there's a couple things that Joe would do that I've, I've maybe taken and, and added to the way that, that I do some different things. And, you know, when I watch Gary do games, there, there are a few little things that he would do that I've maybe incorporated into, to what I'm doing. And that's, that's kind of what, broadcasters do is we, we find something that we like and maybe we add it. We're always ourselves and we're always doing it the way that is most comfortable to us. And we're being ourselves on the air, but, but at the same time, there's nothing wrong with taking something from somebody else that can actually help you with, with what you're doing. Who, who if you could go back and, and form like a dream, who, who is your <laughs> dream broadcast partner to share a booth with one game it, it, it's like a fantasy draft. You get the first overall pick. You can pick anyone ever. Who are you taking? Man, that is really tough to do. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that I'm going to get to do a game with Jim Palmer this year. And that is, that would be a thrill um, because I, I feel like, and I tend to think that with the Ford C Frick award, there's a little bit of bias as far as play-by-play announcers go, you know, Tim McCarver has gotten the award, but there's just not a whole lot of analysts that have, but I think that, that, that cakes should be up for that award. I know he's already in the hall of fame as a player, you know, as the best Orioles pitcher ever, but, but I think he should get consideration for the, for the Frick award uh, because of how good he is. And so it's going to be great to work with him this year, but in terms of like maybe another broadcaster that I could work with, no, I grew up as a, as a fan of Harry Callis. Um, I didn't get into broadcasting until, as I told you guys earlier when I was in college, but the guy that I would listen to whose voice I would hear 
when, when I was growing up was Harry Callis, who had this iconic voice, who was the voice of NFL films for years. That's where most people know him from. And if I could be in the radio booth with him doing a, a broadcast, that would have, that would have been a thrill. You know, he's since passed, but, but that would be one. And um, maybe Al Michaels, that would be another one. Al is the, the, the ultimate big game caller. And yeah, he, he's, he's another one all-time great and uh I, one of the things that I, I really want to do this year when i work with jim because he obviously worked with al doing abc monday night baseball and and being on some of those big broadcasts i, I want to ask him about some of the stuff that that al did when they worked together and and hopefully maybe pick his brain about working with al and what that was like and and how he helped make jim better you would have to you would have to bet the over if you were with al just so you could hear his like iconic like oh this game is over just just to, i feel like hearing that person is like a, a bucket list i'll like, call yeah. I'll, I'll calling out a bad beat at the very end yes. of a, as a broadcast that would be awesome yeah that would, that would be great yeah um, the guy does the guy deserves to call like a couple of the you know like gambling infused broadcasts at some point i mean if he and really, brent musburger were to do one of those yeah. i mean yeah how many references could could they get in? That would be incredible. All of them, all of the references, <laughs> every single one. Now, talk about Harry. Oh, good. Go oh no, no. I, I was going to talk about the um, the this year's Orioles ball club. Obviously, we're just kicking off pitchers and catchers last week. Um, full team workout yesterday. Mm-hmm. Seeing the the videos and the the ASMR videos that the Orioles put out yesterday. Um, who on this team? Coming up, you know, obviously we know the big names, but is there anyone who is who you're keeping an eye on, you're circling, and um, just going to be keeping an extra eye on during in spring training, and then eventually when they get, you know, when the team comes back up north? I'd say in terms of prospects, you know, Michael Bauman is one of them. Um, he has got a power arm and elite stuff. He could be a starter. He could very well be deployed as maybe a late inning reliever. That's another option for him. And it's just power, man. His arm is electric. And there's something about his delivery where guys struggle to pick it up because he kind of you know, leans back a little bit when he's delivering and it's more over the top, like he's a high three quarters you know, type of delivery. So it's tough to pick up. And, and I feel like he has a chance to be a really – really good pitcher either as a starter or as a, as a late inning bullpen option at some point for the O's. Um, I think deal hall and Grace Rodriguez are, are, you know, a little bit farther away and they're both younger. Um, we all want to see Adley Rutschman. We're not really sure when that's going to be, but um, in terms of other people that I'm paying attention to this year, I'm, I'm looking to see how Dean Kramer is going to continue to take his next step forward in, in 2020. If he can get ahead of more hitters was so, was so cool to watch about him last year is how he battled and he battled because he was often throwing you know, a ball on the first pitch. If he can start getting ahead more consistently with that cutter that he developed and is now his weapon against left-handed batters, like that's going to be really cool to watch and, and so those are those are probably a couple of guys that, that I would say that, that come to mind. Jemai Jones sounds like he's got a lot of talent. A bunch of people have been talking about him, and he seems like an electric player that is is close to close to getting his get, getting a full time opportunity, maybe in the major league somewhere. But but yeah, I'd say those are those are a couple ones for me. All RDT wants to see is 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 his best friend Adley. So if you can make that happen, a <laughs> yeah. little, if you can make that happen a little quicker for him, it would you know make him a happy guy. My I told you my my like I knew my my fan legacy was cemented when I met Joe Trezza last year at the <laughs> Orioles um 
the the caravan thing they did mm-hmm. and, that, and I, I walked up to him and i said hey joe i said i'm, I'm eric arditi uh you know i write for barstool and he goes oh you're the adley guy and i was like <laughs> you're the adley is. guy yeah. put it put it on my uh put it on my headstone that's eric arditi the adley guy so uh so yeah. what so whenever i start so calling I you now am i just supposed to start with that hey the adley guy adley guy yeah how are I'll we hey, adley guy how are we he's if in I'm my phone the adley guy if i'm a camden and you see me and and you yell the adley guy i'll like someone call my name like huh do you remember when roy halliday was pitching with the phillies they had you know this guy who just wanted to go to the zoo with roy halliday it was just like a random thing maybe you should like come up with something like you know adley can we go to jimmy's you know jimmy seafood like can we can we do that like you know come come up with some kind of come up with something like that and and see if he'll go with you there's a bunch of articles called the zoo with Roy. I went to the zoo with Roy holiday. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to do a deep dive on this tonight. This is uh, thank you for this. So we're, tra- <laughs> we're currently trying to, we're currently trying to set up a kicking contest between Adley, Justin Tucker, who's been on our show and banks who can go through his entire high school kicking career. So maybe once we have that, Jeff, maybe you can provide us some play-by-play for that contest. Give us a little uh, yeah. professionalism. This is really Banks, Banks, you Banks, you better stretch ahead of time. I mean, Adley was like a he was a special teamer uh, when he was in college, and all the other guy kind of you know you, you know what he's going to bring to the table. So is this the part where I talk about my statistics and my kicking? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the door. I'm leaving the door open. Four other times. Is this the part? Oh, 29 for 34 on extra points. It's not. It's you know. It's okay. Is that, is that is that uh is that high school <laughs> extra points or like it's, it's NFL high, distance extra? It's high points? school. It's high school. What um, was your what was your range like as a kicker? What was your range? um in practice with a little wind at the back? I hit a forty seven yarder at one point. What's a little? What's a little wind? <laughs> it was a lot of wind. It was a ton of wind. We had a, our football field was up on a hill. Um, so uh we used elevation to get the wind and... whipping a little bit yeah, yeah were you like in elevation the altitude you're basically in denver um yeah is, you know, is this gonna be done indoors or are you gonna are you gonna do this against like the conditions oh i think we want to do like banner field over here and near locust point maybe i don't know it's if if we can book mt bank stadium i mean <laughs> you know sure you know i'm in, I'm in for that so um well i'm easy to bribe so if if you can get this all together i will come and do some commentary for this thing and sure and then we can we can have some adult beverages and uh some crab cakes afterwards that's the important stuff to be honest that is 100 this is really Um, coming together well we we pretty much we have verbal commitments from the other two all of them so yeah from everyone i mean we just got to lock down aware do we want to do this like at the like right around football season or like, I mean, I would imagine that maybe this would have to take place a little bit sooner than that. So like when, when were we, when are we thinking for like dates here? I was kind of thinking like training camp, like a, you know, one of those non-roster invite invitation type deals where maybe just a one day contract for the other two contestants for the Ravens. I don't know. I'm just trying to they get, yeah. Looks like, can I, can I just have my own shoulder pads, please? Yeah. (laughs) You know, maybe a locker next to, Lamar Jackson. I don't know. Like that'd be cool. Like, but thanks. You no, swing for the. All, you swing for the fence. It's not, not all about. You may it. not send it through the uprights, but you swing through the fence. If your I dreams don't you scare that. you, they're not big enough. That's it. That's the one. Right, sit right I know. And, and 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 I don't. This is is this, if, this is audio and video, right? Uh we may not get yeah. the, the the video out there. Okay. But. All right. So so just just so we don't we're not doing bad radio here. I've got 
if your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough. It's this sign that always sits behind me. I'm surprised that you're like the only guys that have said, Hey, what's that sign? Or you're trying to like read it off. And uh, I just, it's, it's behind me and I'm, I'm in a space where it's, it's fine for, for zoom usually in the evenings. It's good, but I do have like a window right behind me. So that doesn't make it great. But right next to the window is this sign. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's really true. If your if your dreams don't scare you, then they're not big enough. And the nice thing about it, Banks, is that your dreams don't scare you. So you can still go bigger than, than just doing a kicking competition with these couple of guys. Sure. I mean, we have to mention the background. As Banks said, I, I only mentioned the background so I can talk about my background. I mean, I got called out before the pod and this couldn't be more true. So. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But, um, but I, I can't wait for this. I think I think Adley is going to absolutely bring the fire if he's like ready to go. It sounds like he can really kick. Easy, easy money. That's easy money on Adley. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> like, I mean, this isn't listen, I, Banks. This is not like a game of horse, man. Like, no, you're, I, you're going to start nice and easy, and then <laughs> I can work. As a, I can work some punts in too. So if we want to make it just a full fledged. Do you want, are we going to do this like the, uh, the punt, pass, and kick? punt, pass, and kick? We could do that too. I'm down. You want to go I, against I'd... Adley's arm? Yes. Oh, boy. Okay. okay. Right. What, what's your what's your velo top odd on as a high school pitcher? It's probably in the low 80s, but, you know. Wind-dated? Eh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Not wind-dated, but uh, I was a location guy, so if we work some accuracy into the passing, like, you know. Put some Vaseline on the top of your cap. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I could mix it up. Yeah. Throw a little slider, a little, little sweeper, as we used to call it. Jeff, you, you talked Harry Cow, so you're a Philly guy. Uh, speaking of football, is Jalen Hurts the guy? For now, he is. Ooh. Unless the – unless the, Ooh, unless That's the, not a big – For now, wow. for now. Well, here, here's my problems with Hurts. He's, he's got – the mobility is key. I mean, when the Eagles were, were really good when I was, was growing up is because he had Donovan McNabb and he could, he could run, but he could throw very accurately on the move. And, and Hertz doesn't have that at his disposal. And I, I tend to think that they're either going to, they might draft somebody. They haven't ruled that out. They might go try and get a quarterback or they might just, you know, try and, you know, figure it out next year. But I, I do think they want to see a little bit more. And I think Hertz has earned an opportunity to, to see some more stuff because the Eagles sound like they're in a little bit of a rebuilding mode right now. They've got a lot of older players on their team. You know, they took that dead cap hit when they traded Wentz to the, the Colts, which had to happen. I mean, it was, it was enough was enough. And, and I, I felt like when they drafted Hertz, that was kind of the beginning of the end for Carson Wentz. And he just never recovered after that. So so yeah, it, it, it's for now it's his job, but he's got to show what he can do with it because the expectations are, are high. And um, you know the NFC East, uh, I, I don't expect it to be that bad again. Uh, but but yeah, he's gonna he's gonna have to he's gonna have to figure out how to step it up and compete. And it's gonna start with uh, with doing some things better. But he'll have a chance. He'll have a chance. But whether he keeps it or not, we'll have to see. Now I got I have two questions. My my last two. Last December. two, yeah, oh, we're, or, or, or we're coming to a close on this thing. Okay. I have my last two. I don't know if the other guys have stuff, but do you remember when I hit that home run in the Frederick Keys media softball game? That was awesome. <laughs> well, it didn't go over the fence, but no, but they, <laughs> yeah, they it was. Girl, it, it they had a girl, girl in the left fence. Center. 
Yeah, you did hit it. Yeah, you did it over their head, and then and then you made it all the way around the regulation bases. It was ninety not, feet. It's far. It was a long. Yeah, ride. we we saw some people struggle bussing when when they get to the park, and everyone's expecting like a, a smaller field. And what they didn't realize was that we were playing a, an actual professional game right afterwards, and our groundskeepers would never allow for for that. So. So what we did was like, yeah, we're going to play a, a game and we'll set up the mound nice and close, but yeah, it's a, it's a regulation field and you have to run, you know, 90 feet or in your case, you went a heck of a lot farther than that. But I do remember that it was not the, the farthest home run I've seen in a keys media softball game, <laughs> but you, I think had the only one. So yes, mm. I do remember it. And I was proud of you in that moment. Thank you. Thank you. It was also like 120 degrees that day. I feel like wasn't every one of those games. Yeah, like I, I played in degrees. two of them and everyone, I was like, this is the hottest place I've ever been in my life. <laughs> oh yeah. It, it, felt, it felt like we were on Jupiter. And then what I'm, I'm blanking on the second one. Now. Is Jupiter a hot planet? That's a very hot planet. No, but <laughs> Jupiter, Florida. I've been there. I, when, I umpired, when I umpired in the when I umpired in the GCL, uh, we did a we did Marlins. I did a Marlins Cardinals game in Jupiter at like eleven o'clock in the morning, and Jupiter, Florida, in like July, felt like you were on the planet Jupiter. It was so stinking hot, no breeze. <laughs> you were just wearing it. Did I buy Jupiter? Another- yeah, big Jupiter, the planet guy, huh? Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, it's gaseous. Uh, <laughs> did I buy you enough time there, Eric? I completely blanked on my second one. I have no idea what else. The, the, I'll give you this. The, the notes that you've sang the national anthem before a game? I have, and I actually did it before one Orioles game last year. They 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 reached out to me. I don't know. I think I think I did it. it I recorded it like a week or two before, and it was when we were playing the Phillies and what they would do is they they set i guess they were doing maybe a couple of them so they film these things at monument park and so they they asked like would you come and do an anthem and so i got there a little earlier than i typically did and and then i'd go up to the broadcast booth and so i recorded this thing and they were like can we do like a couple of takes and i was like a couple of takes like i had sweat running down my legs and people <laughs> were wondering why is this so fast and it's because i am dying out here right now it is so stinking hot and and plus one thing i learned when i was doing you know national anthems in the minor leagues and the way and the reason i would do them is because when you go to frederick the microphone that they had had like a two second delay and so maybe you'd have a younger kid who would sing the anthem that night and they would get stage fright or maybe a group would get caught in traffic or maybe every once in a while somebody would just forget and so I would, I would get the, get the call at like 45 minutes beforehand. Hey, uh, what do you think about doing the anthem tonight? Or what do you think about doing the anthem this morning? Or what do you think about doing the anthem this afternoon? I'm just like, all right, I'll do it. And so I would just, I would sing it fast uh, because you could, you wouldn't notice the delay as much if you did it fast. And the other thing was the players, they don't care how good it is. If it could be the best national anthem ever, but if it takes too long, they lose it. And so I did it about, I, I had easily the fastest national anthem that was playing last year. And it was because like, number one, I, I remember my, my tales from the minor leagues with players giving me a hard time about the anthem going too slow. But the other practical reason was it was so stinking hot. And I just wanted to get, I just, I wanted to be done. 
And, uh, and then uh, Brian Holiday, I think was, I, I was doing a, a radio interview with him for a pregame show. And, and he calls me up and is like, uh, Hey man, uh, nice anthem last night. Really liking that pace. And, <laughs> and so, so yeah, that was my, that was my anthem moment in the major leagues, Sans fans. And then I also did it a number of times as a fill in the minor leagues. Are you planning to do one in front of fans at Camden Yards? Will you guarantee to Orioles fans that you will step out there and do it when fans are back? <laughs> I will do one if I am asked by our, our people. I'm not sure. If, <laughs> You're not I'm requesting. Not, You're not I, requesting I, I am yet. not sure if they're going to request me again. I'm not sure if, you know, doing an anthem in a minute and like two seconds is, is, <laughs> is what they're looking for. Uh, but if they were to ask, um, I'm, I'm happy to, to reprise that role. I could also sing Oh Canada. I know the words to Oh Canada. So mm. play the Blue Jays could could help him out there too. So if if Jeff ever performs at a Super Bowl, bet the under is what he's saying. For much. sure. Definitely bet the under and bet big money on the under. Okay. Uh, I'll make, we'll bet, make that. Yeah, bet 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 big money. I, I won't I won't let you down on that. And it doesn't matter what the rules are of it, if it's when that's the tune starts or or when it ends. Like it's it's like does it does it count from when it begins to when I say brave or does it go all the way until I end the note? Like you, you know, doesn't matter how you want to frame it. You're, you're going to be in a good range with me. <laughs> I do. I do remember my last question too, really quick. Okay. So obviously I think everyone here is pretty, pretty decent Seinfeld fan. You're obviously a big Seinfeld fan. Mm-hmm. What, what's your favorite episode? It's, it's, a, it's a pretty pretty easy one, I think. Oh, man, that's a tough one. The Soup Nazi one was great. Festivus is probably a favorite. I will make every Festivus reference possible when we're at that time of the year. Um, there was there was the one where they went to India uh, oh. for the for the wedding. That was that was an underrated one. Very there was, creative there was the, episode. There, there was the Play Now is another one of my favorites. That's uh, my one of my favorite eras of him. And there was a play in... Uh, morning train as he's yeah oh my god mr thomas mr thomas um you know marine my dear tell mr thomas sulip that he needs me then i'll be in my office yeah (laughs) that was yeah that was that was a good one too and then yeah with the play now it's it's like a certain high tea with a mr newman (laughs) i find this decision capricious and arbitrary a fly is open so yeah there there was there was a lot of a lot of good ones and then the uh the postponement is i think an underrated one and that was where george uses tears to get his wedding (laughs) delayed that was that was another really good one Jeff, I'll get you out of here on a one really hard-hitting baseball question. That, okay. You know, we talked about you. We've we talked about a lot of things. Um, but this is the question I think that's going to define the season for the Orioles uh, and maybe the fans as well. Uh, who pitches more innings in an Orioles uniform, King Felix or Matt Harvey? I'm going to go with King Felix. Um, you know, I think they both have dealt with – they both have dealt with injuries. And, you know, Harvey pitched some last year with the Royals – and Hernandez took the year off on account of COVID and he was working out with his, you know, with his brothers. So he was getting some work in, but something tells me it, it might be Felix Hernandez. Um, I just have a sense. And I also really think that that, you know, burning desire to, to improve his hall of fame credentials is really pushing him through this thing. I found it refreshing when he just said, trying to get close to the hall of fame. I feel like he's got hall of fame numbers right now, but 
I think that's really the, the burning desire that's, that's keeping him going. Um, Harvey has something to prove too. He's, he's trying to, to figure out like, well, I'm averaging 94 miles an hour on my fastball, but you know, these are the batting averages against it. And, you know, figuring out that, that something's missing and, and maybe Chris Holt's going to be the guy that can, can help him figure out what it is. So if both of those guys are on the pitching staff, you know, maybe one is in the rotation, one is in the bullpen, maybe they're both in the rotation. We don't know obviously yet, but, but if they're both there and they can, can figure it out and they're going to have the chance to, um, that that's, that's going to be a good thing. And, 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 and one thing that, you know, I, I've heard from people all the time is like, well, why isn't just the young pitchers at the very start of the season? And it's because remember there was no minor league season last year and the alternate site was a very, very valuable experience for a lot of these pitchers, but it's going to take them time to get used to you know, being back and doing the everyday routine and the competition and all this other stuff that you don't want to promote a Wells, a Lowther, a Bauman, anybody else too soon and then you end up taxing your bullpen and it's a long season and the thing that that a a pitcher like a Felix Hernandez understands is how to make it through five or six innings when you don't have your best stuff and you're only gonna have your best stuff one out of every four or five times that you pitch anyways so those guys will get up there and, and and you're gonna see I think a younger pitching staff maybe at the end of the year I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case you know, if, if Hernandez pitches well or Harvey pitches well, there's always a chance what happened to Tommy Malone happens this year where they get flipped to another team. And maybe you can bring it back some prospects that can help you with your rebuild. But you'll, the young pitchers will arrive. It's just understanding at the beginning, you need some of the veterans in there who can help shoulder the load. And this year, it's going to be more important than ever uh, with that massive jump in games. There you go. Long live the king. He can have Kurt Schilling's spot in the Hall of Fame because Kurt doesn't want her anymore. So we, we, we get the king. <laughs> Jeff Arnold, thanks so much for coming on with us. And awesome to hear about your background and a little bit about the Orioles. And uh, would love to have you on as the season goes on. And you're now committed to calling this kicking contest. So we will certainly see you again. All I'm asking, Banks, is to make sure that your effort is strong and that I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's not just a two-man race. You, we, know, doing... we know it's going to be, but it just at least – you know, shoot some videos of you working out. So, so I know that you try. You're, you're doing the same kind of prefacing you did with the Jalen Hurts thing. Like the, for now, like, because you have to, and I've got no choice, but to be, get behind you, I guess I'm going to have to push you along here and then just don't embarrass yourself out there. Banks is what you're trying to say. Well, yeah, I was, I was saying that, but I'll, I'll say this. Even if you suck, I'm still going to make you sound just as, as bad as it's going to be. Okay. You know, that's, I'll, that's- you know, the, the, the other, the other two guys, we'll, we'll see how they do, which, you know, we can probably take a guess, but, uh, but yeah, if it just give me something good to call. That's all I'm asking. All right. All right. Or, or if it's, or if it's not good, just pay for my beer afterwards. That's all I'm I saying. could. Yeah, I, I'm sure. I'm in. <laughs> and there it is. Jeff. Yeah. Thanks so much. Appreciate you. You got you. Got it guys. Thanks. Back to you in the studio. Trust, trust. Back here on the Exit 52 podcast presented by Jimmy Seafood. Thanks again to Jeff Arnold. You won't be just hearing his voice on the podcast with us if you're an Oriole fan. You're going to be hearing him radio, TV, all throughout the year. Really interesting to hear him break down broadcasting coming from the minor leagues um, into the majors and how weird of a year. I thought that was a great question you asked him, Eric. Like you're, you're achieving your dream here as a major league broadcaster, and now you're sitting in Camden Yards broadcasting them remotely when they're going on the road, you're calling things off the monitor. You know, it was very, very interesting to hear the perspective on that. 
Yeah, I mean, he, he had some awesome stories. And, and like we talked about after he left, I mean, we could have gone for three hours with him. Yeah. Like there was just some super interesting stuff that goes into it. Because I think people legitimately think announcers wake up the morning of a baseball game, drive to the ballpark, and sit down in a chair and just wait for the game to start and talk about it. And it's like that's, that's not even close to what it is. Um, some of the stuff that they do behind the scenes and, again, what it takes to get ready and, and the research that they, that they do um, is just amazing. I, I love the story about Shane Bieber, too, and I'm sure he has a ton of those about guys who he remembers seeing – you know, at two thirty on like a Thursday in Frederick, Maryland, and now they're in the big leagues, just just absolutely demolishing. Um, just a really, and again, a really cool, non-conventional story um, about how he got there. And and I know I've been familiar with him um, through the Keys, and and that's where I picked up on him. And and obviously now the Orioles. I think people people really like Jeff and 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 all the new broadcasters that they have. Um, so I, th- I think you know people are going to like the interview and, and I hope they liked it. And uh, hopefully we'll have him back on. I mean, he's, he, you know, seems like, like a, like a nice guy and would love to grab a drink or two with him. Yeah. I mean, he was so gracious with his time. Like, there, there are interviews that we spend where we're recording for that's kind of most of the duration or all the duration of the time we spend with the guests um, because they, they, they tend to, you know, be very busy. And, and Jeff was so generous with his time. And yet he generally just, I think he just really loved talking about what he does and all the work that he puts into it. And, uh, you know, we were just kind of shooting the shit with him for, you know, a good half hour, 45 minutes and just comes across as an awesome dude. And what Eric was saying about the research that he does, he was hanging up uh, after finishing with us to go research the Tampa Bay Rays more. You know, he, this is what he does with his evenings. He spends time. It is February 23rd and he is reading up on everybody he possibly can getting all his facts together, working with a researcher. Just, it's an incredible body of work that these people put into um, just gathering as much as they can to prepare just so they can sprinkle in a, a fact here and there in the middle of the broadcast and, and really spice it up and make it the quality broadcast that it is. The amazing part is they might broadcast the three games or if it's the Rays of Divisional Opponent, you see them more times and never get the note in. That, that's the amazing part about broadcasting is there's so much research put in and some things aren't going to make air. But you've got to have it just in case things go a certain way. Um, and, and that's, I think, you know, to your point, that's why you start this early so you can get all those things for when it's the fourth time you've called the Rays that year. How can I vary this? this time um which is pretty cool and and you're right we, we spent a ton of time with him after just just talking about different things and um pretty interesting to get the perspective it's it's cool in this market to have all the different broadcasts for all these different teams you really get kind of a diverse palette of people to listen to um and jeff is now going to be a mainstay of, and, and be one of those people so uh yeah we're, we'll obviously have would love to have him back on at some point and, and we'll continue to have members of that orioles crew and and you know players broadcasters, whoever, as we head into the baseball season. So appreciate Jeff's time on that. Uh, we've got a starting five to do, gentlemen, and it has a lot to do with what we just talked about with Jeff, a man that called Frederick Keys games for a very long time. We are going to draft into our starting fives, our five favorite for each of us, minor league team names. So the mascots, I guess, combining with the city name. Uh, that is what we are going to do uh, this week. 
Serial draft was last week. Controversial, tension filled. There's still talk about it on Twitter. You're still talking about Oki Brand or whatever you're doing. Don't even there. don't what the do hell that. Is that. You're you're don't doing, even do that. That Bill Belichick. I don't know what Facebook is. Bullshit. You're you're you know doing the name of serial. Say its name. Uh, nope. Was it Oat Brand? Oak Oakton Brand. Something like that. All right. All right. Um. RDT still not eating it with milk, which no, is uh, never, never has, ever. Has gotten some, has gotten some. There's been some talk and some scuttle about that. I'm not never, sure ever. people have really scolded him enough for that. It's because it's not a, it's not a hot take. It's not a, it's not a weird thing. It is weird. Uh, I feel like I, I got validated when Brian, when our, our, our pal Alex Carroll sent me his cabinet, which was just filled with the cereals that I picked. So <laughs> people are just buying the cereals that I, that I picked already. They didn't even need to hear me say it. So. Was he in your draft uh, room? I uh, cannot confirm nor deny. No, he was not in my draft room. I, I, I drafted that team so well. Drafted that team so well. And I will be drafting this team. So, RDT, you had the first pick last week. Um, thanks. I'll give you the choice. Do you want the first pick in this draft? Um, you had the third pick last week. So, you can choose. I'll let you choose your spot. You I'll can't have three. Okay. First pick. Uh, I, RDT, you get the second pick. I had the second pick last week. I'll, I'll take the double. Go ahead, thanks. All right, floor is mine. First overall pick of the minor league baseball team name draft. I'm going with the Montgomery Biscuits. It's an easy mm-hmm. pick for me. I think this is a easy one-one. This is Andrew Luck in the 2012 draft. Um, just this is Trevor Lawrence. This is definitely the pick for me. Um, spent a lot of time in my life in Montgomery County, hoping to someday at least have one of my. I don't know, travel baseball leagues or one of my men's league baseball teams call themselves the Montgomery Biscuits. I never had that dream realized, but I do have a a Montgomery Biscuits hat. It's one of the best logos out there. It is literally a biscuit with his mouth open and his tongue is a sliver of butter. It is maybe the best logo in all sports. There I said it, Montgomery Biscuits, easy one, one. There it is. I didn't even even write it down. It is a great didn't logo. even bother writing it down. No, it because I knew I wasn't going to have the first pick, so I was like, I'm not wasting my my keystrokes on that. Uh, Brandon Lau, former Montgomery Biscuit. Former hmm. player. Yeah. RDT? I will go. Second pick, I will take the Sugarland Skeeters. Tie my board. <laughs> alliteration works. Um you know, I, I like the nickname. I can't, I couldn't really tell you what it is, but um, when I think of Skeeter also, it just brings back the uh, Doug memories. So uh, yeah, we'll go uh, Sugarland Skeeter. Sure. Also shout Good out. John. All right. Double also pick here. <laughs> uh, I'm going to start with the uh, Augusta green jackets in the, mm. uh, the th- third pick. Uh, nice connection to the city. Um, and it's just a jacket but you think about the jacket at the masters. So fun connection. Full there. entendre there. It's a bug though, isn't it? Isn't it like a hornet? It's a bug. It's a bug. It's a yeah. hornet. Yep. There's a hornet. Nice. Just a nice, just a nice job by them. Not making the logo a jacket, making it an actual thing. Those sports team logos should be, but also referring back. thought that was very clever um, by them uh, as two guys that have been to Augusta. Uh, thanks. We can appreciate that. Um, and then with the next pick, uh, I'm taking the Jacksonville jumbo shrimp. Damn it. Yep. Taking the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. Uh, I don't think – I mean, so, decent Jacksonville to Jumbo 
sort of alliteration, I guess. Uh, and Jumbo Shrimp would be just a tremendous, just a, just a great name, just a, just a really good name. I don't think I need to do much justification for the pick. So those are my two. Uh, yeah, that that was going to be – I had the card written out. Um, I thought I could have snuck that one by you. Unfortunately, uh, I was not able to. You didn't their, – their, their colors are maybe the best part. Like they have that like yes, – Yes, pink, the blue. Yeah. It just – oh, it goes so well Gosh. together. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good-looking uh, – Definitely a good-looking logo and name. So I will go, and I'm just going to go one step down from you. Um, Pensacola Blue Wahoos. I think they're mm. the double, they're the double A team. I think uh, Jacksonville's the triple A team. Same thing. They kind of got that the color scheme going. Um, what what is a blue wahoo? Fish. It's a fish. It fits in yeah, with the, uh, I, the the issue. I like the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. I can't get over the UVA thing. I, I just that was the, yeah, the tough can, thing for me. Okay. I could see that, yeah. um, I but again they had the pink and the, the pink and the blue and the white. It just that that color scheme really goes together well. So uh, going blue, wahoos. Good stuff. Um, I am so glad this got around to me. I am going to take the Rocky Mountain vibes. Oh, <laughs> have you seen this this logo? Yeah. I, I I blogged that logo when it came out. <laughs> Ooh, you got to look theory. at this logo, Taylor. It is a flaming s'mores. It's it just the guy is looks. He's a strutting. Obviously, he's got all the vibes. Throwing up the Tyreek Hill deuces. Oh, that's that's mm-hmm. it's quality. Really it's quality. I don't think I even saw that team. Oh. Yeah, I know. When I, I was doing my research for this draft, when I came across it, I was so fired up to put it on my board. Oh man, it's legit. So it's a Guy Fieri as a, like a as a s'more. That is so good. It's tremendous. I'm off to a great start in this draft. Um, also, fun fact, uh, there was a – it was one of those team name things where they put it up for a poll for teams to uh, – the fans to try to decide, and one of the uh, runner-ups was the Colorado Springs Throttle Jockeys, and I don't even know what <laughs> that means, but I love it. Um, the throttle third jocks. round. Third round here. Uh, I am going to go with – the Rocket City Trash Pandas. Mm-hmm. I don't know where Rocket City is supposed to be. Um, Taylor, I believe I, it's in Al- I think it's in Alabama. Taylor and I, I big, big pandas guys, even though it's like, eh, it's kind of not really pandas. It's supposed to be raccoon, right? Yeah, trash pandas. Yeah, concept, but yeah, uh, yeah a, great logo a, there too. Um, that's that's the pick. I was I was gonna wait to see if you paused and like got lost in the snake draft again. No, no, I was very on top of that. I'm, I'm happy to see yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ma- I was. We're making strides here. We're making strides. Um, yep. I'm going with. I feel like this is a classic too. It's not your. It is. You know, is it your like, pick? Oh, it is your pick. Oh, I fucked up. Oh wow, is we it, were doing so well. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I'm going. I was just, uh, ready, I was just ready to make a pick. <laughs> I'm going Akron Rubber Ducks. Yeah, really it's good just one. I saw it and I missed it on my first go round through the uh, team name, so I'm happy I went back and looked at it. Um. They they're they're famous for they they do the um I think their most known bobblehead was the uh, Miss Lippy bobblehead giveaway a couple years ago where they had uh, <laughs> the lady from <laughs> Billy Madison come out to a game so yeah shout out the uh, rubber ducks that's a good pick um that was high that was high on my board um oh man I'm trying to think what I want to do here. After I just tried to jump 
now I've just been thrown off because you guys took the two <laughs> ones I was going to take. <laughs> I, I, I honestly would have, if I'd known the vibes were there, they would have not gotten that far down. I, I just, <laughs> I just, that's a bad job by my scouting department. Um, all right. I'm going to take one just because I have a little bit of a story with it. And it, so it means a little more to me because I've seen them play. I'm going to take the Lansing Lugnuts. Hmm. Um, and the Lugnuts logo is really good. It's like a, it's like a lug nut with a base on it, which is just ridiculous. But the real reason I'm taking it is um, when we traveled to play there with Maryland, we played Michigan State in the series. We went and saw them play because our former player, Kevin Smith, who's in the Blue Jays organization, shout out to him, uh, was playing for the Lugnuts. And we sat in a section. We, it was the same, by the way, same night the Ravens took Lamar Jackson. We watched like three innings and then I went back to the hotel and watched the first time the NFL draft took Lamar Jackson. Great night. But the guy, there was one guy in the stands, this is probably, you know, 40% full, whatever, like a Thursday night. And there was one guy in the stands just going, let's go nuts. And just screaming <laughs> nuts the entire time. The, just it, without fail, the, it was so funny. Our guys were like, laughing it was just it was just so funny and at that entire weekend we were just all going nuts to each other um so i'm taking the lansing lug nuts with that little personal story it's, it's a good pick uh lansing lug nuts is is when like the little league uh uniforms and stuff came out like that are all like the team issued with your 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 like velcro hat and everything and your like cotton t-shirt jerseys that you would have for like coach yeah. stuff like that. At some point in time, they decided to expand and throw in some minor league teams in the mix and Lansing mm-hmm. lug nuts was maybe the first one. And so I think there are a lot of youngsters out there that were at one point um, lug nuts for, for kid pitch or whatever back in the day. I was a timber rattler. Timber rattler. Timber mm. rattler. Mm. We giving away picks? No. Um, no. That's a free one if you want it, though. No, I, I, I do not want it. Um, I, I, I don't know what this is. I just feel like this this team has to be in – and it's on my board. I'm taking the Amarillo Sod Poodles. I, I, it is one of the most bizarre names and logos I've ever seen. It's these, like – I don't even know what – I need you guys to look this logo up. It's a prayer dog. What, yeah, and they're just, mm-hmm. like, tipping their caps – they look like they're like coming out of dirt. It's, I it's guess the, it's their burrow underneath Not, the ground. Yeah, it's just a ridiculous logo. So they're on my team. I I, I want them on my team. I I want these three hardo prairie dogs <laughs> bear me down. They're they're joining the squad here. So that's a that's a good logo too. I like that. It almost yeah the 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 logo with like them in the circle almost looks like a beer like logo. Yeah, it does. It does. It does. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. That's a good pick. Is that your that was your second one? Yeah, after lug nuts. Yep. Alrighty. So this is this is my last one. Um. No, I've no. One more. more. Alrighty. Um, I'm going with the Down East Wood Ducks. Yeah, they're all. I saw I saw Frederick play them a couple years ago, and their colors, they're green, orange, and white. They're the low A for Texas. They it's a fire logo too. Like it's a mean looking duck. Um, this is like mm-hmm. what Oregon should be. Like a pissed off Oregon duck, I, uh, I I like it a lot. And again, the the colors go really well. So, in the scheme of in the scheme of ducks, that's a great duck. It's a good looking and, and duck. And the the whatever font that is they have in their circular logo, awesome. I don't know mm-hmm. if, overall though. I, I think that the name, eh, 
eh, you know, middle of the road. Yeah, but I'm factoring in every kind of everything. I'm doing a logo. Yeah. I'm doing the colors. I mean, I, my my team is very logo based at this point, and I think that I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of further that notion a little much a little a little further here. I'm gonna go with the Traverse City Beach Bums. <laughs> yeah, there goes Taylor giving that a Google as well. Um, no, I'm right. Down, I'm right down the pick. The the logo, it's just a bear with sunglasses on and he's just chucking a baseball and you got waves going on and obviously beach bums like hey that's pretty sweet like um i don't think it's an affiliated team um but i think they're one of the teams that got got the axe here recently but uh yeah i'm gonna take them and with my last pick oh man i got so many that i have like on such a similar level here hmm Oh, this oh man, I'm so close between a couple here. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go with the. Oh 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 wow! I'm gonna take the New Orleans baby cakes. Oh, that's oh. I completely even forgot about them. Yeah, people get real weirded out by the logo. I I don't care. Like no, the, I think it's great. I think the colors are awesome. I I like love the New Orleans color scheme. You just don't get that color scheme anywhere else. But it only flies in New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah, really. Like the whole like French. Uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but uh, it quarter, pops. Wee wee. Right. It's it's sweet. So there's there's my last pick. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I am going Las Vegas Aviators. This logo, if you haven't seen it, it's a wild. It almost looks like a Bugman kind of thing. But I'm digging it. I like the colors. It reminds me of the uh, the old Whoa. Astros. Yeah, I like it. I like the uniforms even better. That's wild. Were they? That. They used to be the 51. Oh, I was about to say I had the 51s on my list, actually. Yeah, so huh. they moved to that. And uh, they, 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 some of their hats are absolutely awesome, too. I may have to buy one of those. That's a good looking hat. So yeah, I'm I'm rounding it out with that. Pretty wild. Um, that is a good logo. I hmm. uh, I don't know what I want to do here. As that's pretty sounds as that is sounds pretty clear to listeners. As I just sort of like scroll through what I want to do. Not the most prepared board. If we're gonna be totally honest here. Um. Oh, I just had one that I that I wanted to take with a good logo. Where did that go? Oh, I got it. I just need to remember what. This is just hard radio. I'm taking the Fort Wayne tin caps that has an apple with a tin cap as its logo. Hmm. It's just minor league baseball at its finest. <laughs> what the hell is a tin cap? That's who we're taking. Thank. Shout out to Fort Wayne, Indiana. That's the final pick. Boom. I like it. I like it. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's just a classic minor league baseball logo. It also a sinister looking apple. Like I I don't know what that apple's been up to, but it's a bad boy apple. It's a or bad. It's a bad <laughs> well, look apple. at him. He has. That's I mean, the first time an apple's ever been called sinister. It's a sinister apple. I mean, he has the the <laughs> maybe, tin maybe on his not, head turned backwards. Um, it's a turn backwards. That's an apple that. Look at that apple. It means business. You know, that apple's dating your daughter. You're not happy. <laughs> no, I, um, Colin Cowherd hates that that apple. That Colin Cowherd thinks that apple would not be 
do well in a clubhouse because he has the backwards hat. Yeah. We'll say that. That's that's a sinister, sinister apple. So, but he's he, or I guess it could be she, but it looks like he. I don't know. Now now I'm now I'm genderizing. Yeah, did this, you just this, assume yeah. that Apple's gender? Yeah, I'm they do have a great this. Fernando we're, we're Tatis bobblehead too. Um, I did not know that. Yeah, there you go. We'll get onto that. Uh, to recap the draft, this was a great draft. I really, I wish I'd prepared more for this. The Montgomery Biscuits to Banks, Sugarland Skeeters RDT, the Augusta Green Jackets to me, the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp to me, the Pensacola Blue Wahoos to RDT, the Rocky Mountain Vibes to Banks, the Rocket City Trash Pandas to Banks. The Akron City Rubber Ducks, RDT. The Lansing Lugnuts to me. The Amarillo Sod Poodles to me. The Down East Wood Ducks, RDT. The Traverse City Beach Bums to Banks. The New Orleans Baby Cakes to Banks. The Las Vegas Aviators, RDT. And I get, with that sinister apple, the Fort Wayne Tin Caps. And there you go. That's your minor league starting five. Mm, I, I smashed that draft. No, I, well, I, I did. I, I murdered well, I got one, guys. One guy's been spent today preparing, other two right before we started recording. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, there were a lot of classics that I was really close to. I just wanted to get them in the mix just because I feel like they're just uh like the Toledo Mud Hens. They're just like they're iconic. They're minor league baseball, like yeah, it's really I mean stay. If you want to go iconic, Durham Bulls. The Durham Bulls. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the Chattanooga I, lookouts, I, you know. I, 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 we've played many a game against VCU at Maryland again in the uh, home stadium with the Richmond Flying Squirrels. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, that was is, on my list. Hartford Yard cool. Goats. Yep. Lakeland Flying Tigers. Hickory Crawdads. Uh, uh, Jeff, the, Binghamton, the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. And that was also mm-hmm. on my list. Uh, Jeff also mentioned the uh, Frisco Rough Riders. Yeah, that's a good um, one. Albuquerque Isotopes based on uh, Simpsons. Simpsons. I mean, that's an Simpsons, all-time. yeah. Uh, I've got Round Rock Express named after Nolan Ryan. I've actually been to a game there at the Dell Diamond. The El Paso Chihuahuas. Yeah, mm-hmm. Quad City River Bandits. I think I've been yep. in, I've been to the Quad Cities. I got family there. They well. to Tortugas too. I like that one. They used to have a yeah. guy that worked there. El Paso Chihuahuas. They had a bunch of like, and a lot of teams have done this for a variety of different reasons. But um, one of the leagues does like for Dia de los Muertos. Mm-hmm. Um, did I just kind of crush that little mietos? Um, they just do that uh, once a year where they change the names and stuff. So you get like the El Paso, El Paso uh, Chihuahuas and all that. So like the uh, the 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 Bay Sox did that, and they were the Ghost Crabs. So they were the um, right, right, right. What was it? I um, done that. Where? Um, no. Um, what was it? Phantasma something. It's mm-hmm. yeah. Whoever whoever came up with that idea. Because the uniforms look great, the hats look great, the names are awesome. They they should they should get a raise. Uh, just missed on my list uh, the GCL Orioles. Um, <laughs> just missed. So maybe next time. Nah, maybe what next about time. the Bluefield Orioles from back in the day? Yeah. Also, GCL Tigers West was also high on my list, but they also <laughs> missed out. So tough one. For, tough one for the GCL teams. <laughs> it is what it is. Golf Coast League. Sorry. Sorry uh great one guys uh we'll see uh listeners let us know who you uh thought got that one um god i wish i had seen i wish i had seen the rocky mountain vibes (laughs) that is just such a good one uh nick cannon redley maryland person of the week uh banks i suppose this is the window for for me to talk about tiger woods um Oh man, we have to talk about Tiger Woods. He's going to be my guy this week. Uh, everybody's very concerned 
we're taping this late on Tuesday. Obviously, I mean, one of the world's most high, highest profile athletes for all of our lives. Um, everybody knows what's going on with him as the news has come out. It's from what we're hearing, it's, it's a shattered ankle. It's two broken legs, including a compound fracture. Um, we're all waiting news as to what that entails, you know, how successful these surgeries, I don't know. Um, but everybody's very concerned about it. It was a scary day, especially seeing the images of the, the vehicle, um, and all those things. And, um, we're all wishing Tiger the best. Um, and there's not really much more you can say about, about it than, you know, we're just thinking of, thinking of his family and, you know, so is everybody and we wish the best for him. And we hope that obviously, you know, his health in terms of him being able to get back to a normal life and, and be a father and do those types of things is what's most important. But of course um, it's natural to hope that we can see him out there on the golf course again, too. So um, that's the pick. Yeah, that was, that was like a heart in your throat moment for probably a good 45 minutes when you saw the photo until Mark Steinberg, his agent released the statement where once you heard leg injuries, you were like, okay, maybe this isn't going to be really catastrophic, but um, yeah, hope the best for Tiger. Obviously I think most people that listen to this pod, I mean, Tiger is a formative athlete for so many people of a certain age, certainly for me. So um, yeah, hope he, hope he's okay. Interesting week for him with the appearance of the Genesis on TV where people were sort of concerned about how he looked and sounded um, in terms of really mostly his ability to play golf soon, not really anything beyond that, I think. Right. Um, and then he was seen giving golf lessons to David Spade and Dwayne Wade. I think that's where he was headed is the report. He was headed back out to, to film more of that, that content. It was um, with uh, Justin Herbert and, and Drew um, Brees, right? Drew Brees. Yeah. Is, so who's supposed to see today. So, um, yeah, only hope the best for Tiger. And, and obviously with that, mostly focused on his, his family. Cause we've seen the, the, you know, talking to somebody about earlier, you know, the amazing part about seeing Tiger lately has been, you know, how more humanized he's become the interaction with his, his son and daughter and, and all that different stuff. And that's right. the reason you hope nothing awful, awful happens. Cause you know, that stuff all deserves to happen for anybody in their lives. So. Yeah. I think a lot of serious golf fans have went out and read the book that we've mentioned a few times here that Taylor and I have read the, the tiger book by Armin, Mc, Armin Katayan. And then I think the, the more general sports audience became more familiar with some of his uh, upbringings and some of the, I don't know how to really frame this, you know, just some of the battles that he's fought, um, throughout his entire life. Um, and this is not me uh, <laughs> um, saying that he's had a, a, a tough life per se, <laughs> but um, you know, he's, he's, he's had one of the more interesting lives of anyone in, in modern human history, in my opinion. And the documentary on HBO, I think humanized him, like you said, to a lot of people and people have, are kind of seeing him from a different perspective than they might've seen him four years ago when he got, you know, had the, the DUI with the painkillers and all that. And yeah, with the, the footage of that, the body cam footage of that. And right. That's, right. That's and that's shot and everything. Yeah. All yeah. that stuff. So I think the dynamic has changed in terms of how people are receiving it. And obviously this is just a really serious situation that um, scared a lot of people and continues to, to be honest, you know, we're, we don't know what, 
what the ultimate outcome of this is will be. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Hoping the best for him for sure. Uh, there's, yeah, there's really so that book, Wright Thompson has some pieces on Tiger that are incredibly fascinating. There's a lot of interesting stuff. You want to delve deep into the Tiger ways. If you're not a big golf person, never been a big Tiger person. So much, so much there. I will uh, take it away second here uh, real quick. My uh, Nick Cannon medley uh, person of the week, uh, or I guess it's a thing, is the sport of lacrosse, which returned in a big way this week, really because the Maryland started playing and we're the lacrosse capital of the world. So once we start, that means everyone's starting. Uh, I love lacrosse, play a little, little lacrosse growing up. Obviously, we, we you know, are doing a podcast based around really the biggest hotbed in lacrosse, which is the Baltimore and the surrounding areas. Long Island can talk a lot. Long Island, you're second. Baltimore is first. Um, so really excited to have that sport back at the college level. And then we'll roll into the PLL season in the summer as well. And I'm sure they'll be they'll have stops around here. So excited to have all that back. It's such a good sport, such a sport, a sport that means so much to the state. Um, and one that I'm that I'm just excited to to be able to dabble in and, and watch again because it's just was that in College Park for opening face off against Michigan. We crush Michigan. Shout out to John Tillman and the boys. Um, and so just excited to have it back. Uh, two quick honorable mentions. Uh, first, Olivia Rodrigo. Uh, oh no! Oh no! <laughs> Rodrigo, driver's license for everyone that's still wondering. Six weeks at the top of the charts. Uh, biggest for a uh, debut song since Drake two years ago to start at the top of the charts and then last this long on, on the top. So, you know, I had you guys there. I got you guys there. I gave you that education. There's SNL skits. It's number one song. I will uh, say uh, the uh, SNL skit is like uh, a month too late. Like that's yes, it is. SNL. They like they totally missed it. Uh, yeah. Like that's like, what are we doing? SNL swing and a miss from SNL. No, it's, no way, right? Great. It's really funny. It's just three weeks too late. Yeah, it's, like it's it, it strike while the iron's hot. I mean, what are we, what are we doing? It's it's yeah, it's it's. But you know, she just 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 it just continues to roll. It just continues to roll. Um, and then second honorable mention, and I, I may be piggybacking uh, with. Banks here, maybe on one, and not to continue to talk about golf. Uh, the Genesis Invitational was very exciting at the end. Yeah, and it was a great shout out, to, shout out to Max Homa, who is a great personality for the game, and uh, people should follow on social media and listen to him on podcast. Very funny guy, and watching him cry after the round was cool. I think PGA Tour events get very cookie cutter in how they end. It's like guy gets the trophy, he's happy, he gets a lot of money. We move on the next week. That genuine emotion to watch a guy grow up there care so much about the place he was playing and win in that fashion pretty cool so honorable mention him so i will go with um friend to my program not a friend of morgan cox's program titans linebacker will now free agent barstool oh, blogger okay. will compton who may have changed my life forever in a very strange way where he tweeted last week that he was eating his uh, peanut butter sandwich, dipping it in chili. Oh boy! And I thought, honest. Go ahead. So I I wrote the blog, being like, "This is disgusting. Why would you ever do this? You should be put on a no-fly list." Just putting him through the ringer, and then realizing, like, all right, well, I like peanut butter sandwiches. I like chili. I'm gonna give this a try. And I tried it, and boy, oh boy, it is delicious. I'm not even exaggerating. It's it's absolutely fantastic. 
and I, I can't stop thinking. Oh, now all I want is like a peanut butter sandwich to dip in my chili. And when I saw that 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 blog, I was like, I don't think that's that crazy at all. Well, it's just it's a too, little bit like it's not like a common thing, but at the same time, I was like, ah, you know, like this, this just never sense. heard of it. I've never. No, I think that it can be very chili dependent. I yeah, you got to have a good chili. Because, I mean, I'm the out. peanut butter sandwich is a peanut butter sandwich. You're out. But I, I love peanut butter sandwiches. I have no interest in dipping them in chili. I'm not you like chili, chili though? Not really. Okay. I mean, it's okay. I just, I would never like get it. I would never get chili. Apparently, people were telling me too, like, which I don't know if I'd try this Cinnabons and chili. Oh, no, that's, that's makes a lot of sense. Cincinnati, Cincinnati style chili is like cinnamon is a very key ingredient I've heard, i put cinnamon in my chili that's the that cincinnati is- at hard times uh is uh okay. is um cinnamon based i was i was let's just say i was i was greatly surprised at how much as i was leading up to it that i was thinking more and more like you know what i think i'm gonna like this because i, I it just it again i mean like you see you see peanut butter on burgers doesn't pickles didn't they used to do like a peanut butter and jelly Hot dog, I think. Uh, I know yeah, Abby it, Burger does a peanut butter burger, and it's awesome. Yeah, yes, so it's not it's not like it's uncommon to see it on meat or anything. But I also figured that it was like some Missouri middle of the country flyover state, like <laughs> well, you know. It is. Will said Will said <laughs> in high school we used to eat it Thursdays before football games. It's like yeah, no, well, that that's crazy. The craziest like, part of all. Like, I don't know. I mean, it, it definitely it seems like a a very Midwestern thing. So I'm I, I loved it and. Just give me some chili to dip you my beans in your chili. In you do beans? Yeah, yeah, I do beans. Yeah, I, I you can't taste them. Yeah, you can't taste them. I I, I, wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't, don't turn my nose up at chili with beans in it, but that know. was a bit of a nose turn up. Yeah, that was that was yeah. quite a nose turn. That no, was very Larry, Larry David. <laughs> and you're laying back right now, so your nose is literally turned up. Literally turned oh, up. Yeah. at my chili. At the at the chili. I love peanut butter sandwiches though. God, do I love yeah, peanut butter. The peanut butter sandwich, sandwich I had last week, I hadn't had a peanut butter sandwich in maybe four years. And now I'm that like, is, oh, I eat was, a lot of peanut butter sandwiches. I, I, I partially partially tore my uh, MCL my first, like, second week at University of Maryland my freshman year. And the dorm was uphill, so I would have to uh, crutch uphill to go to the dining hall. And I just didn't. I just ate peanut butter sandwiches for, like, every Great meal. move. Where did you live freshman year? Uh, Carroll Hall. Mm-hmm. Rare South campus yeah so uh, would you just go to the convenience store um get those get some yeah the the uh south campus commons below yeah. the dining yeah. hall oh yeah yeah oh yeah they had dunkaroos there when nobody else did like, i don't think those any place bad, had it those like bad pizzas that there's little pizzas that just like no <laughs> pizzas that send i i, I, I ate way too many of those <laughs> <laughs> you and I both, because they had those in the business school. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So many of those shitty Uno I would just personal la- pizzas. Lather hops. I can't believe it. Uno gross. Uno gross. allowed their name to be attached to those. Those were awful. But, but at the same time, they're, they're solid. At the same time, I would – oh, my – those old Doritos. God, talk about eating good. Your little talk about code red. <laughs> I, I would go with Pepsi. <laughs> and I was talking college. Yeah. Uh, that was talking college. I was talking chili as well. Sure. Um, <laughs> peanut butter sandwiches and chili. That is – any honorable mentions for right. you guys? I, I have um, Eddie Murray turned 65. 
Oh. In uh, 15 minutes from now. So happy birthday to Eddie Murray, one of four players uh, with 500 home runs and 3,000 hits. So no big deal. There you go. Um, I don't think I have anything. Hmm. Peanut butter sandwiches and chicken. I'm gonna. I'm gonna now I'm I could give a. Hungry. I could give a pity, a pity honorable mention to Tony Finau. I uh, mean, uh, geez, that's, well, that was what I was wondering if you would. Do. Oh man, I'm just Tony, Tony, Tony. What a sigh! Three straight worldwide second place runner-up finishes. We're all rooting for him. Thirty-seven top tens since his last win. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's really is one of the craziest things. It's, it's any he this was the the best that he's done like on a in a final he round. was he went out and tremendous got tremendous on 64 Sunday. when the on next closest was homa had a 66 yeah on that on course that too course, riviera is not a joke like they, they, they go to some of these pga tour stops like the Greenbrier where they used to do that and it's you know it's just 25 under par yeah, John riviera, Deere and then yeah like even, even scott's even scottsdale but yeah but that Riviera is, and he ripped that course apart. I mean, God. he is a birdie machine, Tony Finau. He is so exciting to watch when he is rolling, and he just Riviera it's just is so such funny. a treat. I immediately think of you every time he gets in contention, which has been pretty much every week for. A, he birdies the first hole of the entire tournament, and I see Tony Finau tracker uh, post it, and I'm like, "It's Tony's week," and I, it's a joke every single time. And sure enough, <laughs> it comes back around late Saturday, early Sunday, whatever it might be. And he just finds his way into contention more Sundays than not. If not, feels like every Sunday, every and, Sunday uh, right now. And I, I have to have sunk well into four figures betting on that and just waiting on that win. And it's going to come around. It's, it's going to happen. It's got to happen. You're a bit with it. The, uh, the no laying up guys, they do the bit with Tony Fina too. It's just, there's just so much time. The thing is, so it's not time. a bit. Like I actually was on him early. Like, <laughs> like I've been a fan of this guy for a long time before the loser stigma got to him. And by the way, you being an ex guy, you got to keep an eye on him because he's. Yeah. Well, we, this is, we, I think we talked about this off the pod. There's, there's some ex scuttle that's just, gonna start. It's nowhere near it's, Tony's level, but as soon as Tony wins, but you Tony people are gonna drop me. Yeah, X. It was a it was a tough scene in Scottsdale. Yeah. X should have won that tournament, and I think Tony plays there. I honestly think he wins if he doesn't go to Saudi Arabia and play against DJ. Mm. I think he wins Scottsdale, but he didn't play there. So mm. sorry to sorry to Tone, sorry to the Tone man. He'll get it. He'll get. It. He's too good. He'll, he'll win. He'll win. He'll win. Uh, that's enough for Nick Kinner Medley, person of the week. Uh, I just want to mention how much better uh, Duke is without Jalen Johnson. Um, and that's that's the uh, the postscript to last week's to last week's uh, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. they just continue to win without him. That's not a shot at Jalen Johnson, but Jay Billis just keeps getting on TV and doing what he does. And I love Jay Billis, but the Billstrator. Um, He's so good. He's so good. But I think it I think his takes off on this one. But shout out to Billis. He's tremendous. Uh, that's enough for the, the this week on Exit 52. Thanks once again to Jeff Arnold for joining the show. Um, tremendous stuff from him. Um, thanks to you guys for jumping on. And the listeners can follow you at Barstool Banks at E-D-I-T-T-I-22 for Eric. You can follow me at Taylor Smith. You can follow the podcast at Exit 52 Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. 
Thanks once again to Jimmy Seafood as we do every week. Coach Harbaugh in the building today. No text to backs to, to go to go see his see his guy. Bought the whole restaurant lunch. I know. Yeah. I don't know, man. Would have loved You're, to see Coach. You were blogging Tiger. I, I did. Out. I did send a text to Johnny after I saw the video, and I said, you know, if you do want to pass along the podcast that Jimmy, the only podcast that Jimmy sponsors. You want to, you know, put it in the ear of the coach. Open invitation to Coach Harms. You would not turn Open him down. Invitation. Wouldn't turn him down. We would make time for him, I think. I think we would we would, we would make some arrangements. Holy yeah. hell, the Wizards are in this game anyways. We'll talk about the Wizards later. Bring it home, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Exit 52 podcast presented by Jimmy Seafood. We will see you next time.